Welcome specialists, coaches, dads of kickers, moms of punters, relatives of long snappers, and dogs that shag kickoffs to the Iceman Kicking Podcast. It's the show with cold questions and even cooler guests. And today I am very excited. We're here to talk the ins and outs of special teams and specialists. And I am your host, Coach Broder Killian. Uh, we, you know, pulled all the strings, all right? We're going continental today. Uh, we're able to get a hold of uh, ex-New Mexico State long snapper, Tim O'Donnell. Uh, Tim, how you feeling today? I'm good, man. I'm good. It's, it's uh, what, 10.30 in the morning for me. So, had a coffee, feel good. Ready. It's a nice Sunday morning, go back to work tomorrow. So, it's a nice change of pace for me. So, Yeah, it's good. We got, uh, you know, we were able to set this up where it was nighttime here in West Virginia. We got you, uh, you got all Sunday and uh, just ready to talk yeah. some ball. Uh, a little bit about Tim before we get into anything. Uh, this was the captain of the national champion All-State rugby team. All right. He was named the best forward in his rugby league two times back in Australia. All right. Two-time best back in rugby. Two-time rugby leading scorer. He was also named a five-time MVP and five-time champion. He was the ranked number one transfer for long snappers uh, in the nation, according to Cole's. Uh, professional camps after his uh, senior challenge event, uh, played for New Mexico State, and uh, was an NFL free agent. Um, Tim O'Donnell, uh, welcome to the show. This show is brought to you by the Kicker's Bible. The Kicker's Bible. Do you want to learn the ins and outs of kicking from NFL specialists? Organize practice schedules for in-season and the off-season so you don't overkick how to get a full ride scholarship offer, the perfect long snapping technique for tossing a 6-5 ball on the hip every time. This book provides specialists with the ultimate guide containing everything necessary to find success as a specialist at the highest level. Brett Arkelian combined over 10 years of experience as a player and coach with countless hours of research to develop this handbook of the greatest collection of proven technique tips used by college and NFL specialists and coaches all in one place. The Kicker's Bible is a must-have for both players and coaches at every level who want access to information essential to perform and teach at the best of their ability. Go to icemankicking.com to get your copy today. You know, if we were last in the country returning punts, I might not be on the podcast. So shout out to the uh, R&B team. Hey, and everyone listening, man, y'all order my dog's book, man. Y'all stop playing with my guy, man. Iceman Kicking, go get the book, The Kicker's Bible. Order the thing. Support this young man. Right. All right. This is the Iceman Kicking Podcast. We are here with Tim O'Donnell. Tim, welcome to the cold seat. Hey. Good to be here, mate. It's, uh, it's uh, like I said, it's good to talk football. It's been a little while. I know it really has been a little while for you, huh? I talk to me uh, before we get back into your past and about you know uh, where you started at. Talk to me, what have you been up to in these last six months? And actually, after you get into that, I want to talk about how this uh, COVID stuff is affecting you. Go ahead. Um, yeah, to be honest with you, it's uh, it's been a weird transition uh, leaving the U.S., uh, moving back to Australia, and um, and just. Moving back into regular life, I think that's I think that's a weird transition that doesn't get talked about a lot. Because because in all honesty, I did struggle quite a bit when I finished up with football. Um, there was quite a bit of depression that set in when I realised that everything that I'd set out for, you know, 
six years ago, pretty much, you know, is is finished. It's over. You no longer your identity as a football player is no longer a thing. And if I think it's some like I said, some programs do it well where they have that transition and they help set guys up for post football. But for me, you know, once the NFL you know, kind of drained out. I didn't get much of an opportunity to pursue it after my pro day because visa constraints and things of that nature, which is fine. It's what I signed on for. And then once that happened, I realized the CFL wasn't an opportunity because of the, um, you know, the roster, the 75% roster rule, whatever, whatever it was. Um, and, you know, and then even though I didn't come from a football country, you still count against that because you played, you know, college football, right? So at that point, I was like, okay, I need to start, you know, working towards something else. So finance was my, was my, you know, my background, my choice. So I moved home and I got a job within about a week. So after spending six months <laughs> trying to find a job in the U S but um, yeah, it's just, it's one of those things, man. So it's, it's a bit of a weird transition. I, I struggled for quite some time. I put on a lot of weight. Um, you know, I, I went through those mental struggles where I felt down every day, uh, but now life is good. Um, things are coming together you know so i'm pretty i'm pretty happy now so it's it's good to you know finally be through that transition which you know like i said a lot of guys go through and it's it's something that needs to be talked about a little more i think so hey yeah you had a little depression eating there huh no i i completely agree with you man like there's there's a time period where you're like okay well what's the step you know luckily for me i was able to kind of ga and help out at a university but then after that it's like you know, it's weird not having those 6 a.m. workouts. It's weird not going to meetings every day or being like, okay, I got to get in the weight room. And then after that, I'm going to go kick or I'm going to go snap. Yeah. You know, that, that, that downtime, that period. Yeah. It's like, who do I even reach out with? You had your group of specialists that you hung out with each and every yeah. day. So absolutely. That needs to be talked about. Um, when you, okay. When you left and you came to Australia, very horrible, got a job in a week. That's, you know, that's how we do it. Um, but what's, what's it been like there, uh, in Australia dealing with COVID stuff? Because even here, you know, mm-hmm. it took place in March or whatever, when it first, uh, broke and oh. it, like life has been at a standstill, uh, for us here. How's it been for you? And right before everything kind of hit in March, right? So at that point, we're just, yeah, everything hit. My, my wife went home to take her family back home after the wedding. And then luckily we got an, uh, got an approval from the government for her to come back in because by that point, everything was just shut down. We shut our borders, you know, all our interstate borders were shut. Like it, everything was at a standstill. She came in, we did our two weeks and during our two weeks, all the businesses were sent home. Everything was complete lockdown. Uh, I think it was for about three weeks or so, pretty much until everything slowed. Once we knew that it slowed, they put a plan in place to do like a three stage you know, moving back to normal plan, basically. Um, you know, right now, I think July 1, July 12 was the stage three. And that's when, like I was saying before, um, gyms are open 24 hours. You know, nobody has to wear masks or anything like that. It's, yeah, everything's kind of just opening. Now there's still social distancing to play. Like at work, for example, we have a rotational roster where two, two days of the week, certain people will be in, three days, certain people will be in. You still have to be, you know, certain people per square meter or square foot, whatever you want to cook, whatever you guys want. Um, you know, so it's one of those things that for us, it's it's coming back to normal. Life is pretty normal now. Um, we have had an outbreak in Victoria, but again, they've completely they've completely shut down 
borders are closed to everybody. Um, yeah, so I mean, for me personally, I mean, at least where I am in Queensland, it's it's pretty much, yeah, pretty much just relatively back to normal, except for a bit of social distancing. But, right. <laughs> what, did they initially when they came out with all that stuff? Did, were people like, did they have to wear masks, or when they initially shut everything down, were they allowed outside? What was the extent of it? Well, because everything was shut down, not a lot of people. Although, to be honest with you, I've seen more people walking than I've ever seen before because with the gym shut, everybody's like, oh, I think I'll go for a walk today. And, you, you know, it's just one of those things that, like, it's weird. But at the same time, yeah, nobody really wore that much in the way of masks or anything like that. Obviously, it's encouraged, but just one of those things for us, like, yeah, everything was shut down. We didn't get hit too hard with it. Fingers crossed, right? Like, um, So they were pretty quick to react in terms of shutting down the international borders shutting down you know they told everybody that was overseas you need to come home um because you're not going to get back in in a car in like a month of time you know like it was a lot of things like i had a friend that like he'd been chasing this dream to go play football overseas for so long and he literally left within a couple of weeks obviously this all hit and he had to come back home so that was it he's <laughs> you know he went he'd just gone off to germany to play and then all of a sudden he's, he's back home you know it's pretty yeah but no, we're good. I think everything's coming back to normal, which is nice for us anyway, uh, for the most part. Obviously, everyone's keeping an eye on everything going on because we're also going into winter, which is, um, it, it's it's supposed to be more potent in, in the cold, I guess. Yeah. It's, so for us. Yeah, it's going to be like yeah. an experiment, you know, to see how that happens. Mm. I mean, you know, I think the one thing that other countries, and regardless of political view, you know, what other countries did do is they shut things down immediately. And it was like, no one's, you know, trying to break that rule or, or, you know, because they understand what's, what's at hand. I mean, for us, it's been like a struggle, I feel like, and that's been so frustrating yeah. for everyone who wants to have a season. And I think for me, it's interesting because obviously I came from here where voting is mandatory. There's no gerrymandering. There's none of that. It's, you know, it's, it's interesting. And we don't, you know, we have multiple um, options to be voted in, you know, it's not the two party system like that. Um, it's interesting that like I, I found it fun just to watch the politics over there like I don't, I don't like getting into it because I know people are very sensitive about politics but like just watching the extremes of both sides they just you're either one or the other and it's just so extreme there's no middle ground it's just like you know so when one person says this and then everybody freaks out on the other side it's just funny because it's 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 watching it play out with this whole situation like um, you know, I, never, I never knew that the voting is mandatory enough <laughs> mandatory you get fined if you don't vote mm. That's amazing, man. That's exactly how it should be. That's I think well, it takes I was gonna say democracy is built on 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 participation, right? Of everybody, the people. You're supposed to be speaking for the people, and yet if nobody votes, how is it for the people? But anyway, so but point being, and the other part that I was gonna make about that as well is actually <laughs> they were finding people was it sixteen hundred dollars? Thirteen or sixteen hundred dollars for breaking the um isolation like rules so if you were doing anything you weren't supposed to, like there were certain things you're allowed to do like get food like grocery stores all that kind of stuff but for us if you broke it if you broke the rules that were set out by the government and that's state government on the federal set it out but then states had their right to um so if you broke like somebody was doing a learner driver thing and got fined 1600 bucks because it was not necessary driving you know just like things, it's it's funny, man. It was just it was just a weird time, but at the same time, they were full on with it. So I mean, I guess it's good in the fact that now you know it's fairly normal. But obviously, 
how normal is it going to be? We don't know, but right. But it's it's more normal than other places are. But anyway, I digress. Yeah. That. Uh, good stuff though. I, I always love learning as a you know ex history teacher. I love hearing about stuff like that. I'm a little bit embarrassed. Yeah. I know that uh, you had to vote in Australia, but that's, that's pretty okay. Fun. Um, okay, you. One of the things we love doing here is having guests on that, you know, they have exquisite stories where they came from, you know, different places and they had to fight through adversity to get to where they wanted to be and get to their goals. Right. You have a fantastic story because uh, you've you've gone so many places and been so many places. Talk to me about how it started, or how you got into right. American football, and then what happened right. when you got to the states. Okay. So, one thing people want to know, our sports TV here in terms of American sports is not great. Uh, very expensive to be out of view American sports. Um, so, feel lucky in that, guys, just so you know. I, I miss American TV and whatnot. But um, the point being is, so for me, I was lucky enough. I, I sort of caught a couple NFL games. And I, like I was saying to you earlier, my first experience with football was Beast Quake playoffs. You know, Seattle, all of that. Against the Saints. That was, uh, yeah. Love Marshall Lynch. He, he he was the first person that I got exposed to in the NFL. I was like, this is this is awesome, man. This is what I want. Um, then it kind of crept into the college uh, games. So, and that's when I started to fall in love with the fanfare and the you know everything's so big and you know bands and you know all that stuff that everybody takes for granted, right? We don't have that here. It's not a big big scene. It's not a big like day out, you go to the game and you tailgate and you, you know, that's not a thing here. You might, you know, even with professional sports here, it's still big, but it's just not on that same level of, you know, pageantry and fanfare and the whole, the whole nine, whole 10 yards. See that? Okay. Um, so, so basically I fell in love with that and then I decided, okay, this would be pretty cool. And by that point, my rugby career had, had kind of hit a, hit a point where I was like, okay, I need to take a break because I had some bad injuries in high school. So here we give scholarships at high school level. So um, if you're a really good rugby player, um, a, a, like a private school, like a Bishop Gorman type school, will come and find you. And I mean, I know that they do this, but you know, they don't do this, but do it. Um, so, so they come and find you and they can offer your scholarship. So you get a better education, you know, all that kind of stuff is the way it's looked at, right? Um, so, you know, we even recruited from the Pacific Islands, like Samoa and Tonga and all these places where if you're a good player, we're going to find you and we're going to offer you to come play for us because we had boarding at our school. So similar to like dorms and whatnot, boarding at high school. Um, so we did all that. I, I did that, ended up getting injured, stopped playing. I was working as a strength coach, met a football coach who was like, oh, you look like you can play football. And, you know, and I, I started watching it. I'm like, okay, awesome. It's like, well, why don't you just come on down? So I came down fell in love with it and I'm like okay this is awesome I get to hit people really hard I don't have to worry about hurting myself because I have pads on it's great um and then, yeah I fell in love with it man and just the the chess of the game like you know it's like a chess game when you're playing so it's a lot of fun um and then and so eventually um I played my first game ACL goes so I've not got to, got to wait another year so um I ended up Playing a year later, played one season with my club, which is the Bayside Ravens. A little plug there. I know I said I wouldn't plug anything. Um, but Bayside has sent a lot of people to the US, which is interesting. So it's probably one of the biggest clubs for doing that. Like we sent Jesse Williams to Arizona West and Alabama, Seattle. Uh, my friend Travis Reynolds went to UMass. Um, you know, Bryce Colson, Dan Wilkins is playing left tackle. 
uh, Houston Baptist. Like, yeah, it's a lot of cards actually do come out of there, which is interesting. Um, so from there, we actually, I played a bit and then played for the state team. We won the national title for the first time in my state's history, and, um, and which was great. Um, and then at that point, I used that tape and I put it together to be able to get some, you know, obviously the, these coaches are looking at this tape, like, come on, come on now. But at least it kind of showed that I could, you know, run the hit a little bit. So um, I think it's still on YouTube, actually. Which is kind hey, of you know what's funny? I, but, think I, I think I've pulled it up before. Um, it's good stuff. Uh, yeah. They're handing you the ball off and letting you rumble. Mate, I, yeah, like that was, that was the fullback. That's the fullback base for me, man. Like, um, I just loved hitting people that was that was my jam like i enjoyed that competition of like two people one's gonna win that's what i that was my thing right there so um that's why i love fullback is because it was just me i knew exactly who i was hitting i would fly down there and my job was to knock him out and that, that's what i loved about it um so from there yeah i put a tape together emailed what did i say 270 270 something schools twice um, I, I gave up after the first round and my mum said, give it one more go. If you don't make it, then maybe it's time to give it. So I did, got an email back from Coach Monaco at Pima College, said, call me on this number. I think I called him at like two o'clock in the morning here. Um, and, and he picked up and he said, well, look, we've got a spot for you. If, you, if you're interested in coming, you'll have a partial scholarship. And then, so I went to Pima. What year was so that, was, Tim? That was 2014. Okay. And you were how old? Uh, 20, just turning 21. So a little older, um, and the part that I struggled with big time was I, we finished high school at 17 in Queensland. So I finished high school at 17. I worked for a couple of years. I didn't go to uni, which ended up helping because obviously then I wouldn't have been eligible to play football. Um, but what actually, and I got another interesting story to have in, in correlation with the age and the timing of that, because it ended up screwing me down the line. And I'll tell you more about that later, but um it's one of the things that like, yeah, I went to Pima at turning 21, um, you know, but I struggled with studying big time, you know, that transition from going back to school, you know, I just, yeah, I really struggled with that my first semester um, and ended up screwing the pooch a bit in terms of my academics, uh, which didn't kill me later down the line, but it did hurt. Um, especially, G, you know, cumulative GPA, things like that. And my being on track to graduate at a good time had I not screwed it then, I would have been available in the spring, which would have helped my recruiting. Um, so then at that point, after the first season, they were going to a spread offense. I was playing fullback, snapping a little bit. Um, and so I decided to make the move to Butte College um, because I there was an All-American running back there that I trained with in Las Vegas. And he was like, yeah, yeah we need a fullback. Like, you know, if you want to come play. And so I did. He ended up at Oregon State. Um, and I went there, but the thing was, but at that point, I actually didn't even long snap at Butte, which was, was just funny. I wasn't even good enough to long snap at that point. I was way too inconsistent. Um, and because I never had any proper coaching by that point either, I was all self-taught. And uh, yeah, so I played very little at Butte, which is, I'm, I, you know, I'm okay to admit that, like I didn't play much. And it, you know, it's part of my, it's part of my growth because at that point, I'm like, okay, I even need to pull my finger out and, you know, get everything together because this is not going anywhere. And this, you know, and I'd, I'd made that choice to move and just, yeah, it hadn't gone well. Um, so at that point, I actually moved to Las Vegas uh, for six months. Um, I, had, I had an uncle that lived there. Um, he worked he worked in show business there. Um, so 
I spent six months there, did a little bit of study, um, you know, helped my GPA a bit. And then I actually got, I actually ended up going to North Dakota after that. I didn't play in North Dakota because um, I took a red shirt uh, because by the time I got there, it was, it was already like into the season almost, but I just needed to finish out my associates, you know? What school was that? So North Dakota State College of Sciences. Yeah. So I, I went there to finish off my associates is basically the way it worked out. Um, so I actually got deported during that time as well. So not a lot, not, not saying I advertised a lot, but I went home for a funeral uh, and came back. And at that point, because I was living in Vegas, um, my, my I-20, which is like a document that all international students need was out of date. Um, so I got denied entry at LAX and got sent home with an armed escort. So, I mean, so this is the thing, by the way, just so you know, just so you know, I got put in a cell from about 9am till 11pm because I had an out of date piece of paperwork as a student. They took my shoelaces. Okay. They took all my stuff, went through everything of mine, went through my phone and whatnot. And then they ended up putting me back on the plane at 11pm that night. So they must have thought to get a new armed and dangerous. I mean, dude, I, I, I honestly, I was, the, I was like, okay, well, fine. I'm going home. That's no problem. Let me go sit in the airport, have some food, relax a bit. And they're like, no, you're going in. And they put me in the cell. I got, I didn't have access to anything. Couldn't tell anybody I was coming home. Um, and then, so I ended up getting put on that plane. And luckily the guys that took me back to the plane were super chill, but it was just one of those things. And like people were looking at me, um, and the guy, I was wearing a Wisconsin Badgers shirt at the time because I'd just gone to their camp and I'd done really well. Um, and they said to me, um, they, they were like, oh, a couple of people asked us who, who you were. And then the, the guys with the guns, they were like, they were like, oh, he's, yeah, he's a pro football player. Just, you know, we're just helping him out. And like, so luckily they were super relaxed about it. But like, just, it was really weird. It was a weird, just a weird day. They got sent back, had to get a whole new visa, which cost me seven grand, by the way. Um, and then I had to get a whole new visa and then I ended up coming back to, and that's when I went to North Dakota. And how, um, how old were you at the time when that deportation episode took place? 23. I mean, even then, yeah. right? I mean, you're still a kid. I mean, was there a part of you that's like, screw this. I'm not going back to some place where they just deported me and I'm in between. No. Didn't even cross my mind once. Nope. Awesome, man. Uh, that, that's resiliency. Yeah. Well, that's the thing, like, it's one of those things, like, this is all life experience, man, like, for me, at the end of the day, you know, um, so from there, I actually went to North Dakota, um, studied, worked out really hard, I spent a lot of time working out there, that was when I really made a big jump, I was always strong and big and whatever, but at that point, I was working out, you know, every day, six days a week, running every day, you know, um, and I made a lot of good friends there. Um, and friends that I still have to this day that I'm still close with, which is, you know, um, it's one of those things that I, you know, when I went and punted at UNLV, a couple of other things like that. And yeah, it's just one of those things that like, that was a good time for me to just stop and focus. You know, I've got my academics on track. I, I've got my, my physical, physically on track. I spent, I snapped every day. You know, it's one of those things that I just allowed me to focus because I could walk from one side of the town to the other in five minutes. Right. And so that's, that's what it was. It was just a school. So I just, you know, I would be in bloody blizzards and stuff that I was never used to. And then I did that for six months. And then that's when I went to the Coles camp, got the ranking. And within 
a couple of months, I got the offer the night before signing days when NM State offered me. So, so you were in in North Dakota. I mean, you were in Vegas. No, wait, wait, run it back. Arizona, Arizona, California, to Northern California, to Vegas, to Vegas, to North Dakota, to the camp, and to Las Cruces. But yeah. to the camp in Atlanta, right? Yeah. And then the off yeah. of Las Cruces. By the way, when you were at Butte, yeah, of the story, did was Rigoberto Sanchez punting at Butte then? Okay, he had just. He was a couple of years before me. Yeah. Um, they actually had an Aussie guy there. He was really good, but he's now he's now a scout for one of the professional rugby teams here. Um, yeah, his name was Jordy Bunn, and he was really good. Um, but he went to Tennessee State, and then he came back home because he, he'd had enough. So, um, yeah, but Rigo, Rigo was about a year or so before that. So um, I just missed him. That's when he was at Hawaii. So. That's right. And yeah. I, I, I was at Fresno City at that time, a community college in Northern California, and we yeah. – state championship game against Butte. And the one thing I remember about going out to Butte was, man, if you're from California like me, you kind of know it. Yeah. It looks a little bit like Las Cruces there where it's like yeah. there's nothing out there. It's Chica, like, yeah. Chico areas like tumbleweeds. <laughs> you pull up to the school and I see like, uh, you know, all the solar panels they had. This was like – Yeah, before. that's right. So this is like right yeah. when solar panels become big. Yeah. God, who would want to go to school out here? Like there's nothing out here. But, I mean, Focus and Butte has historically, right, you have Aaron Rodgers. Uh, they've yeah, been, Larry they've, Allen. Yeah. Big one. They've had one of the yeah. best teams in California, Juco. It's Butte and For a long time. Yeah. San Francisco. San Fran, yeah. I mean, you, City College had a lot of Australian punters. Yeah. Lou, a lot of Australian punters. Yeah. Lou Headley's probably pretty famous because of the tattoos. But, um, well, actually, what year were you at City College? Uh, I was at Fresno City from thir- oh, Fresno City. I was at 13 and 14, I think. Yeah, so you would have played against the running back that I was talking about from Butte. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, so I trained with him in Vegas. Um, we had the same trainer. A friend of mine who was a USC bounce back quarterback at Pima, he's the one, he's from Vegas. And that's how I ended up spending a lot of time in Vegas, right? Um, but his trainer was the one that trained that guy. And then, so that's how I got the connection to go to Butte. Um, but they had great coaches, a lot of experience, NFL experience, like, you know, so it's a legit program and it's a good program. And anybody that, you know, can't do the scholarship route with JUCOs, that's a good place to go. Um, yeah, because they don't mess around there, man. They, they're all about the championships. There. And it's good. And like I said, it's what made me sort of kick my butt into gear a little bit and take it a little more serious than I was taking it. Um, you know, so I, 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 I'm forever grateful to Coach Funk, who's the running back coach there you know um so yeah it's just one of those things man it, it, it all helps build who you are you know so absolutely that journey but and personally like that's what i said I, I enjoy is like that journey of bouncing around everywhere i mean a lot of guys would have given up and quit but to you and i think that's what made you a great long snapper is your resiliency and how you're able to fight through that um okay we've kind of covered the basis as far as um you're up to uh, you know, getting to New Mexico State. Talk to me a little bit about the process or, you know, what you, how you guys did when you were there uh, and then briefly just after after New Mexico State, Las Cruces there. Yeah, so, I mean, when I got there, we had a pretty stacked team. Uh, we had a couple of guys in there in the NFL, things like that, um, which is interesting because obviously historically, NM State 
you know, people, the records haven't been so good, but it is what it is, man. I think, um, I think it's just a, it's a mindset thing down there, you know, like, you know, everyone's excited about it, but they're quick to give up on it. And uh, I, I hate that because, yeah, I, and then you look at Nebraska sold out, what, like three years in a row of games, even though they were like 0-12 or something. But my thing with it was like, I got there, I was excited because for me, you know, the whole thing of like, I got to go and put, practice in a stadium every day and I got to, I got all the gear and I got, I got to be like, you know, I was living what I'd set out for. It took me a long time to get there, but the ability to, and this is one thing that was really important to me was have my last name on my back. That was a big one for me. That was one that like I, I took so much pride in. And um, I think I said to my mum before I left, one day you'll be able to see me play and we'll have our name on the back of my jersey, you know? And I think, and there's a picture I have of my mum and I before the bowl game, which I'll get to in a minute with, with the jersey and everything. So, um, but yeah, it was one of those things that for me, I'd finally got to a point where I was, where I was ready. And riders, um, you know, I'd spent all summer there training with the team, finishing out my JUCO online, right? And then come full camp, everything was going great, snapping well, ready to go. I was in shape, I was feeling good. Um, and then I think we were in game week of Arizona State, which the, meant to be my very first D1 game was at Arizona State, right? Um, and the the one of Coach Corey, who's, who was our receivers coach, comes down and goes, Tim, did you play football before you came to America? And I was like, like a little bit, yeah. And he's like, okay, you need to go see compliance right now. And I was like, fuck, here we go. Um, so I walked over to compliance office and they basically said, the NCAA said, you're not eligible. And I was like, what? And he's like, he's like, yeah, well, they've, they've, we put your, your um, what do you call it? Amateurism through and you play football. Um, and I'm like, well, yeah, how, how was I supposed to get here? Um, but there's very little rules in place for, people that play football before they get to America. So the idea, the whole concept was if you played sport after the age of 19, right, an applicable American sport, it affects your eligibility. So I played at the age of 20. So I was like, well, how was I supposed to get film, right? I, I didn't touch a football till I was 19, you know, because I was playing rugby at that point. But basically the bottom line was they were trying to take away the rest of my eligibility, right? Um, so I was lucky, and this is one thing I, I will be forever grateful to Coach Mark, who's the head coach at NM State, still is, but him, Mario Mocha, the AD, and Coach Sukup, who's the special teams coach slash linebackers coach, um, they said, well, we're going to fight this because it's bullshit, right? And he goes, we've fought the NCAA before, it's fine. And so um, they, they actually put in an appeal, which got, which basically, at the end of the day, I had to go, get a whole bunch of documents and prove a whole bunch of stuff. The bottom line is what it came down to. I had to sit out three more games um, and then I was eligible. So my first game was actually at Arkansas, which was game four for us. Um, I think we were like one and two at the time or something like that. Played Arkansas. I think that we didn't lose by much to Arkansas. We were offensively, we were keeping up with them. Like our offense was stacked. We, we were stacked at, at offense, but just def defensively, they were just big. They were just big hogs, man. That O-line, I think their interior three were all 6'8". Um, they literally ran the ball on fourth down is what they did. So I think they punted once and he punted it. He shanked it for like 15 yards. Because uh, they had a, they had an Aussie guy beforehand. His name was Sam Owen Hill. Um, 
and he did all that punting, all the rollout punting for them. So then they brought an American guy in next, and he's trying to do it. Just didn't work. Yeah, um, some, some guys that like American guys that don't know how to rugby, and then a team. I mean, because coaches they want from the same scheme, right? But if you don't, yeah. and this is a point I'm gonna make about punters, if you don't coach up your punters and you try to bring no. in a wide receiver to try rugby punting, or you know, yeah. try to make a traditional straight-on punter try to hit rugby's. You're going to be shanking 15-yard punts. It's everything from, like, your leg angle to where you hit the ball to how you drop it's the big one because a lot of Americans hold it like this underneath. And when they drop it, it skews on them, right? Like, And that the problem is then you shrink it. The thing is the Australian guys hold it over the top, like, in that fashion right there with the laces big right here. And then they can angle the ball to meet their leg angle, right, to where they're going to hit it. So it's an, it's an Aussie rules thing. Everyone says rugby, but it's not actually rugby. It's it's Australian rules. I'm a rugby guy. Straight. Let's get that straight. Yeah, let's get it. Look, Pat McAfee's been a big, a big, I actually got to meet Pat, by the way. I think, he, he, you know, you know, I don't know. It was with, it was with Brian and all of them. But, and we talked about this because I'm like, look, I'm a rugby guy. We don't kick it like that. We kick it kind of side on. They kick it more directly straight on because everything's accuracy, right? That's why they're so good at pinning it in certain spots because it's literally all they do. That's what they do, accuracy. They got a little like just dinks, dinks and dunks. Like, because you know, that's how we pass the football in, in AFL, right? I got to play a little bit of football at AFL in high school. Um, I'm too short to play it. So, um, but that's why all those punters are big dudes because they're usually AFL guys, usually taller, a bit leaner, can jump and run and, you know, because they all run a couple miles a game usually. What, so, did, uh, what did Pat have to say about that when you told him that? Uh, just he he was a bit confused, but I know he spent when he did the college um, circuit with the with the with the uh, commentating. He met like Wade Lee's at UCLA and a couple of these guys like Dane Roy at Houston. You know, he met a lot of these Aussie guys, and then they were sort of telling him, "Okay, man, look, it's not rugby, right?" But so so he he's a big advocate for that now. I know he's actually spent a lot of time with the AFL commentators on podcasts and radio shows. And, so it's good that it's, it, they're starting to understand where that all comes from. So, yeah, but so that kind of happened. So back back to where I was at. That kind of happened. Wait, wait, wait. One, thing, one more thing for yeah. you. Because you're like really the first person who explained to me about, you know, the Aussie style. Uh, wait, let me get this right because I don't want to be, you know, chastised by you. The Aussie rules punt, right? The yeah. drop punt is, as we call it with the hand on the top from the laces, right? And then yeah. talk to me when they drop. You say they push it on, they rotate it, and talk to me what the offhand is doing. So they hold like that. Some people hold like that. I hold like this because I'm rugby. But bottom line is they do it and then they split, right? And then so it allows them to change the angle of the ball when it comes down to foot. So depending on what they're trying to do, they're trying to hoik it. So let's say, you know, you're snapping just outside field goal range from like, you know, 35 and, and beyond or something like that. You know, because you're not maybe you don't want to hit a 55-yard field goal or something like that. Yeah, exactly. So you want to hold your coin up there. They're going to lean back, and instead of tilting down, they're going to hold it almost flat, so you can get up under it and hold that thing. And most guys know where they hit it and where it's going to go. So like, if I, they know if they hit as hard as they can leaning back, I know I can drop it on the 10. You know, and it's just one of those things. It's there's just they can get, they got so much more control over the ball and what it does. And so that's that's where that comes from, the way they drop it. Because again, like I said, they can turn it to the side to meet a side, you know, like they can put it straight down to go straight up and down. You can kick it so it spins and bounces a certain way. You can kick it so it curves in the air. There's all sorts of stuff you can do. 
yeah, by the drop right, they can rotate it. Like for me, when I hit, and again, this is just the common punch. Don't get after me. But a rolling rugby ball for us, which was really just me hitting a ball that was like end over end and it was just a line. Oh, it's been. Yeah, yeah. it's been. Um, I could turn the ball outwards if I wanted the ball to hit the ground and then roll out of bounds to the right, yeah. or I could tilt it in. Are they changing their foot position at all when they hit that, or is it still locked out on contact? Do you know? Yeah, it's usually it's usually locked out on contact. It just depends on more so where you hold the ball. At least for me, and again, the, one day I hope I can get you to speak to pro kick, the guys that do all this, because they'll be able to tell you exactly. But for me, because I wasn't a punter, although I can hit a I can hit a punt. Trust me, I can hit a punt. Absolutely. But not like those guys. Those guys that actually have a clip of me hitting a forty-five yard field goal. Yeah, I'll send it to you. Um, but yeah, some punts and stuff. Like it's just one of those things that. I think Brian has a, some some clips of me hitting some punts too. Uh, I can I turned over a couple of punts, mate. Don't worry. Um, but yeah, it's just it's just more about where your leg swings, the where the where you're holding the ball, what angles. So it's just yeah. But the thing is, all that stuff's natural to them because they've been doing it for so long. You know, these guys. You think of Aussie rules players. Their job is kick footballs, right? And that's how they pass it to each other. Like I said. And yeah, the pinpoint accuracy is so important. And so that's the thing. They've been doing that for years, just every day. Just right, kicking because, balls, kicking and, and just like you were talking about with the rugby rules before, right? Um, you guys have academies. And much like in the United States, we have soccer academies too. You know, LA Galaxy will have yeah. an academy. My brother was an all-state soccer player. So he knew about all these academies oh. where they bring them in at what, 13, 14, right? Yeah, sometimes younger, yeah. Yeah, so it's the same yeah. way with Aussie rules, right? These guys will start playing at a young age. Yeah, so like, you know, I live in Brisbane, so my local AF- AFL team is Brisbane Lions. They have an academy for young talent. Uh, Brisbane Broncos, the rugby team, the rugby league team. There's a, there's a difference there, but we won't get into it. Uh, the rugby league team, you know, they have academies, and I was a part of that when I was when I was in my teens. You know, so they developed them at a younger age, but there's no college system. There's no middle ground, really from about the age of 20 to the pros. So if you're not in it, you're not in it. You know what I mean? Like there's no, there's very little middle ground between the pros and the thing. We don't have like, you know, college systems where you guys have that time to develop between high school. Usually for high school, you're signed or you're not, you know? And so it's just one of those things. It's, yeah, we don't have that. So they develop, they do it at a younger age. Whereas like obviously you go through college to prove yourself and then, you can be signed, but we get signed at a younger age, developed, and then either make it in or you don't kind of deal. Yeah. So it's one of those things, man. But yeah, so I played, I played 2017. We, we went six and six, which again, Brandon State's a big deal because we were 57 years, no bowl game. So longest bowl drought in history. I think the next closest was like 17 years. Um, it was on. It was on all the ESPN things because we had to actually. We're playing our last home game of the season. We were five and six against South Alabama, right? Um, which good team, right? They had a lot of NFL talent coming out of that too. Um, they came to us, and uh, what happened was, I think, I think they scored with about I think three or four minutes left, and we were winning most of the game. They scored to take the lead, so we we ended up driving it all the way down. I was getting ready for frantic field goal on the side crap crap like you know like one of those things you just have to like all right we better we have to go nail this field goal because we're down by two you know um 
and we throw a touchdown. <laughs> so we go and then we stop them on there when I think it was about a minute left and we stopped them. Um, and then it was just pandemonium and the Arizona bowl took us, um, which was awesome for us. Cause it's not too far from Las Cruces, obviously Tucson. Um, and yeah, we sold out our entire side of the Arizona bowl. So it was, it was massive, man. It was an insane, insane time. Where was and that, that was awesome. And where was that game at in Arizona? But was that in, um, where was U of A stadium? Yeah. Okay. yeah. Bearcat Stadium, um, which was awesome. I've been there before because I started, it's weird because I started in Tucson, right? So it's kind of come full circle. Um, and that's and that's the thing, like, you know, my fiance flew in for, she's my fiance at the time now, my wife, flew in, um, you know, well, actually she was my girlfriend at the time. That's another story. You got some um, memory issues there, buddy. <laughs> yeah, hey, look, it's it's all it's all coming together. But uh, no, I we actually engaged just after the ball game. Um, but my mum flew in from Australia with my granddad, who was like 95, but he helped pay for me to be able to do a lot of what I did. So it was kind of, again, full circle. Um, and then after the Arizona Bowl, we won on in extra, on overtime. We actually won on a touchdown. They, so do you know, you know the Utah State kicker? Yeah. All-American? Yeah, the German. Yeah. So he was there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He was their kicker at the time. He actually missed three field goals in that game which is rare for how good he is, by the way. <laughs> Luke Rosa, finalist, whatever yeah, he was. Really He's a cool dude, by the way. I'm blanking on his name, which is bad. Um, but uh, Eberle, his name is Eberle, yeah. Anyway, he missed three field goals, and they weren't long. They were they were routine field goals. He missed them, which is how we ended up tied in that game. We Then in the overtime, they got the ball first. We stopped him. He missed again. We then got the ball, touchdown, game over. Um Whole whole stadium rushed the field because pretty much the entire of Las Cruces was there. Um, and funnily enough, I went on the field to congratulate one of them, and I got punched in the face. So by a Utah State player. Yeah, that's safety. Yeah. Was it a huge fight after or what? No, no, just blindsided me. I didn't see it coming. I woke up on the being picked up off the ground. So I started broken nose from it. Jeez. So. So no, I missed I missed most of the uh, most of the post game celebration because I was getting all cleaned up. So yeah, that was uh, he he was the one that was spitting on our plays before the game and doing all sorts of crap. So just a knob. Yeah, well, you guys still won, so you got that satisfaction. Exactly. At the end of the day, I have this because of that. So yeah, you got yeah. it too. Yeah, it's cool. It's a good. It was a good time. Um, and then we then I got to go home afterwards, and then. My wife and I got engaged at the time um, and whatnot. And then I came back to Las Cruces for my senior year. Senior didn't go quite so well, but I still had a fun time. We played in Minnesota, a couple of big schools, which was a lot of fun. Um, yeah. And then I got to, and then I had my chance at the pros. Did my pro day with a disc protrusion in my back. Snapped well. Oh, I also played, went to the Tropical Bowl as well. Um, we averaged 51 yards in that All-Star game, which was great. Um, so yeah, um, but pro day was fine. Didn't run as well as I wanted to have a feeling that's with my back, but, uh, bench 28 reps of 225, jumped, jumped 32 inch vert, which is okay. I'm short and heavy. So that's a long way for me. Um, you know, just things like that. So I did well. I felt like I was going to get an opportunity. Um, I don't know if I made the best choice in agency, um, didn't really do a lot for me, unfortunately, but a specialist, that's a hard deal. 
um, unless you're like you know at a big time school or something like that and you do well it's very it's, it is difficult um so yeah and then i spent a little bit of time afterwards you know sort of just trying to explore more options but at that point i when i once i graduated i had to get a, I had six months to get a job um and unfortunately a couple of the leads that i had fell through and the visa situation made it really difficult and so i i, I then ended up having to leave so Right. But for better or worse, you, you managed to find, you know, your spot here and say, Hey, I'm okay. Talk to me about that process. We're going to talk about the NFL process anyway, and trying to make it, you know, what, what sets guys apart as far as, you know, average specialists, average college uh, or snappers to like NFL type long snappers. I think it's a couple different things, I think, because, it's hard to pinpoint one thing directly, but it's a culmination, at least to me, it is a culmination of things. So whether we all like it or not, size is probably the first thing. Size sets people apart. If you're big, long and athletic, you look at like Hunter Bradley, who got drafted year before me, he's like, he's an ex tight end, you know, like six, five, like ran a four, six or something ridiculous for a snapper, you know, like size and athleticism is the big factor, right? On top of that, it's can you physically handle the NFL? That's a big jump physically. Better athletes, stronger, bigger. All the guys that were stars in college usually end up on special teams anyway um, in the NFL. So you look at that. And so, yeah, it's a combination of can you handle it? Are you big enough? Um, and then also little things like what sort of scheme did you run in college? So all these free release schemes are great, but it doesn't set you up well for the NFL. You know, um, because some guys never practice blocking until they're getting ready for pro day. And although I didn't run a blocking scheme in college, it was one of those things that I've been practicing. All of my off seasons, I spent time working on my blocking footwork, my blocking technique. You know, I combination of the fact that I love love to be able to hit people. It's but it's one of those things that like it's one of those things that people don't practice and and then they get a shock and it's hard for them to that's hard. That's a lot to learn in, you know, six months of preparation. It can be done and it is done. But the bottom line is if you at least do a little bit of work on it, you know, through your whole career, it's not going to be such a big jump come, you know, pro day prep. So, yeah, I think it's the combination of that. And the big jump is the mental game as well. I think the ability to read what fronts are you're against, you know, who's blitzing, who's coming. If they do a cross blitz, who becomes my guy, depending on the blocking call. There's a lot that's the big jump because a lot of guys in college they're so worried about the snap because that's not automatic for them yet it's like okay i have to snap and then that's all the coordinators want them to work on it's like just make sure the snap's good and that's fine but the problem is come the nfl that's expected right and then then you have all this responsibility of like blocking and reading and you know and all this kind of it's just yeah it's one of those things that like that jump is so big and the people that are still trying to get blocking down it's the reason why they struggle to transition because there's, all that stuff's already expected and then you have to then transition, you know, well, and it's just competitive. I hear that 100%. You <laughs> talked to Alan Tucker on this podcast a, a couple of weeks ago and, you know, being an SEC coaches at Mississippi State, he's had two yeah. of the next long snappers, I believe, get opportunities in the NFL. Yeah, Bradley was, in, was Mississippi State. Yes, yeah, and so he was talking about how much of a student of a game a student of the game he was you know he okay. was doing notes and he was knowing you know he knew what the scheme was going to be against them the next week yeah. and he could help the coach out as far as you yeah. know protection wise and then 
also it's that ability to get down the field and cover, right? I mean, yeah. first things first, especially if you're a young guy, you need to get the fundamentals down where, you know, and, and be consistent. But after, after that, you can't just get uh, sedentary. You know, you have to keep uh, no. other ass, or, uh, assets of your game, facets of your game. Yeah, I think, um, I think first and foremost, fundamentals, you know, barn none is the, is the priority. Because like I said, by the time you get to that level, you can't still be trying to work on having a consistent ball. That's expected. You know, even at D1, it's pretty much expected. Like it's, you still, you probably a little more room for error in comparison with the NFL, but even if you're not consistent there, you're not going to get a shot. It's, it's one of those things that it's like, you know, by the NFL, how fast you rip the ball doesn't matter. As long as your operation is clean under 0.75 for the snap, they don't care. It's just, it's, you know, most of those NFL guys will snap high sixes. You know what I mean? Like consistent though. And that's the, that's the difference. It's the consistency of always, always on the hip, like without fail, pretty much. Because those mechanics are so drilled in and that just comes from years of reps and practice. Oh, you man. Know? So it's, yeah. No. It's, it's unbelievable, man. It is. It's the consistency. That man's preaching now. It's in the, you're, you're, you're telling me exactly, I, that's time, uh, exactly lined up with that too. Talk to me, okay, let's talk about the different phases of snapping and, and what you think. Right. You know, if you're trying to explain fundamentals to a young guy, how would you start out doing that? Yeah. Um, first and foremost, it all starts with how you set up. I think um, not a lot of people, and again, this is the hard part with explaining fundamentals of a snap, right? It's one thing that works for somebody is not going to work for somebody else, Right. Like I said, like I said before, there are certain things that are proven to work and proven to be, you know, things that help people snap, you know, like grips and things like that. There's pretty, there's a few pretty like well-regarded like ways you grip the ball. But again, there's about three of them, three or four of them. And so whatever works for one guy might be better for another guy, who knows? So I hate the idea of like, you have to conform to this style of snapping. And I think it's important to learn from, you know, different people now. There can be such a thing as too many cooks in the kitchen, but once you find what kind of works for you and feels good and helps you, then you know stick with it and work at it because you need to. Once you find what works for you, you need to rev the crap out of it so that it becomes second nature. And I think the three, the big one is the setup, which includes the grip, right? I think that's important. Make sure your grip's balanced. You know your body's balanced because if you're not even start balanced, how are you going to finish balance, right? Um, and then the three movements to me personally, I, I have a whip um, and the, people get that confused with like a hitch. It's different to a hitch because you're still moving in the right direction. You're just separating from the ground so that you have the ability to really like drive that down and through like, like a chop, right? Like people refer to it as a chop. Coach Stelt is a big whip chop guy, right? Like, so it's, it's from here and it's up, chop down. And as you chop down, you can engage your core and then get that drive down or through. Because for me, I'm not a tall guy. I have short levers. It means that I need to be able to generate as much power in a short period. And then and on the final phase to me is the finish. So it's, it's how well, how balanced do you finish so your ball is consistently coming out every time in the same spot. And at the end of the day, whenever anything would go wrong for me, my focus would immediately go to the finish. Because realistically, if you come out where you're supposed to come out, it's you can at least have a decent ball 
Whereas like if, you know, a lot of guys get caught up on trying to think all three things at once, then you're going to end up overcooking it in your brain and then it comes out wrong. All right. So at the end of the day, if everything is going wrong, I'd be okay, just make sure I finish it as hip. And then it usually ends up okay. <laughs> I love, love that too, though. No, you're, you're definitely right on track with that. Randy Brown, he's the coach of the Baltimore Ravens, and he has some of the best specialists. You know, oh, obviously, yeah. Morgan Collins, right? <laughs> Justin Tucker and Sam Cook. Yeah. I've talked about these guys before, but he was on the fourth down experience with Brian and Chris, and he was talking about, yeah. let's just get three things down. Your starting position for kickers and punters. Yeah. Starting position, yeah, attack I mean, point, and follow through. It's the same yeah, thing with now, things. right? Yeah. Is, is If you can do those, or if you can – I love that. You can just always go back to the follow through. If I can get this right 90% of the time, I should have a straight ball. I should have an accurate ball. I should have something that's a 0.75 at least, correct? Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, look, it, I don't know that it'll dictate your speed because your speed comes from how you're generating it through the snap and what, you know, how, you, how you're utilizing your body, how efficient are you, things like that. Because, it, you know, snappers have to remember that the, the timer starts the second you twitch, the second you move. So if you're taking forever to get to that point, you could rip the crap out of the ball, but your timing is going to be crap. So I think, like I said, efficiency is a big one because, again, the defense moves, and this is the part where if people aren't practicing for the game, you know, it's not, it's going to not translate very well for them because if they take forever from this point to get through and it's like, okay, well, that guy's already gone. <laughs> you know, like, you know, especially as you play at a higher level and they get become better and better athletes, you know, that affects people. So, you know, efficiency is a big word that's used, but being efficient is, a, is a hard. It's it's one of the things that how quickly do you move, you know, how like in tune are you with making sure you move exactly as you want to move, you know, and just, you know, what works best for your body. So at the end of the day, you know, for me, it was about setting up evenly, right? Because some guys have a tendency to do all this crap and have, you know, an overcooked, you know, grip like this and, you know, balance yourself out, rip through, finish, be even when you finish, nice, strong. If everything's even, everything's controlled, everything's efficient, you shouldn't miss. And that's the whole premise of it, right? And it's it's one of those things that people get too hung up on how fast are they ripping the ball. But there's a lot of factors that goes into how fast you rip a ball. I can be like, hey, you rip a great 6'6 six, six ball or something. But if you can't hit the broad side of a barn, then what's the point? You know what I mean? So I think we've got that backwards. I think accuracy needs to be your number one. And that's the one thing I found when I moved over to Coles is they preached accuracy instead of speed. And that was, for me, was a big turning point because I, I could always rip the crap out of the ball because I was always a big guy. So you can rip the ball if you're a big guy, but that doesn't mean anything if you can't hit anything. Hey, you know? uh, yeah, I, I agree with that. When you're talking about um, accuracy, how, how do you like to do charting for punt and field goal? How do you, how do you like to Well, I guess it, it, for me personally, depends on the level. Obviously, you want people to have a high standard, and especially if one of your kids shows an aptitude and wants to be at a high level, hold them to that higher standard. But I think, you know, let's start with high school guys, right? As long as the punter can catch the ball without having to change too much of his body, I think that's I think that's a win, right? Like, obviously, we always want the hip, and that's obviously. But some punters like it higher, some guys like it lower. Depends on their punt style, right? Like I had a punter in high in in college who liked a higher ball because he liked to drop straight from there. But it just depends. So for me, as long as they don't have to flip their hands or bend down to 
to feel the ball or anything like that. If they can catch it out in front, thumbs high, just catch it and then send it. That's a win for me, especially at high school at a high school level. Now once they get to that, then you can start tightening it down to be in that zone. There's like you want a little box from about mid thigh to the bottom of your ribs and about middle of you to just that side, the hip. That should be your, your box, basically. So, so if I'm charting my like uh, you know, my my martial uh, long snappers and I'm trying to oh, put them at a, at an NFL level, right? Do you give yeah. Right, you have wins, or do you have like a point system set up? How would you go about it? Yeah, I mean that that, that become, because they're expected to be, especially if they're later stages of college and and they have aspirations for the NFL. I think it's important to be a little more, you know, critical on it. So I think you know your three pointer is on the hip. You get a two inside that box, and a one as if he doesn't have to move. Once he starts having to do all this in the NFL, that's getting blocked, you know, because it and you see it, it happens, but. And this is the other thing that I hate though. You know, everyone strives for perfection. I'm a perfectionist, always have been. But you're not always going to be perfect. So don't, I had, a, I had a tendency to beat myself up and then I would go rip a hundred balls because I messed one up. Do you know what I mean? Like that's fine. And it does, there is a place for that because, you know, you need to have that drive to be perfect, but you can't screw your whole mental side up because of a bad ball. And that was one of my tendencies was to beat myself up mentally to a point where I couldn't then perform the next snap. Oh, and absolutely. that's something that comes from practice, right? And that's one thing that, you know, mental side of the game, being able to switch off in a game and just focus on one little aspect, like hands to hip was my, was always my cue and the rest didn't matter. Like, because that should all be second nature by now. Right. And, and so it's just hands to hip. Yeah. Absolutely. I've heard people say different things too. Like, uh, pretend your hands are bullets and throw it through the hip. Pretend your hands yeah. no longer connected to you. Throw it through the hip. Yeah. Um, yeah, those are all really good points. Real quick, go back to um, – oh, well, there's been a hot debate too. Actually, uh, Shane Graham, who I, I uh, really look up yeah. to as far as a, a coach and a mentor. Absolutely. Uh, was posting cool. about – yeah, with he's at Florida now, played in the NFL for a while. Talking about long snappers, looks and no looks. All right, before I get too right. – let yeah. me get into it real quick. From yeah. my understanding, okay, um, okay. a no-look snapper has his head right. up, right, yeah. and then will tuck his chin and snap. Now, he'll look first, yeah. right? He'll peek under his leg, pick his head up, and then snap. That's a no-look, correct? Right. And yeah. then a look yeah. snapper will be looking the whole time, and then he'll just – and yeah. then he'll snap, right? Tell yeah. me your thoughts on each and the positives and negatives of each. So the no look allows you to wind up basically is the way I always looked at it because I always ripped a really hard bowl because from here you have more room to drive yourself through, right? If that kind of makes sense. But for me personally, I, I prefer the look. I start as a no look. A lot of guys do because it allows you to get more speed, but I became a look snapper when I was going to NM state because they have hand signals, foot signals, stuff like that. Right. But for me, the positives of no look, is you're more aware of what's going on, right? Secondly, you can rip the ball harder. The negatives is usually accuracy. Now, that's not for everybody. I mean, some guys have such good muscle memory that it doesn't matter whether they look or don't look. Um, but also the negative would be, you know, again, it's it's how quickly can you locate your eyes to your target as soon as your eyes get to that point. Um, 
And for the look, it's usually accuracy. Some, some people think it, you sacrifice speed, which you do when you initially switch over, right? Because you don't have that same wind up. You have to be more efficient from, you get less chin tuck, but if you get better ab, ab activation, you can negate that. So I think the NFL is more geared towards look snappers uh, because of hand signals. Usually they can go off noises, but if it's a noisy stadium, you can't hear shit. So it's usually a hand signal or whatever. Um, and that was for us too. My little, my partner would give me just a tiny little like flick of his fingers to just say he's ready for the ball. And then it was on me. So I don't know. Some guys do that and then they look up and snap it. Again, at the end of the day, the advice that was given to me when I was moving from college into pro was be able to do both because you get the really old school coaches that like no look snaps because that's the way it was done back in the day. And then you get the new school guys who don't care so being able to do both is is an advantage. So yeah, I like the look snap personally. I feel more accurate because I'm locked on the target the entire time. But some guys like to no look. And I, I personally, and it's one of those things like I was saying, not, not one thing is going to work for everybody. Both has positive and negatives. I think whatever you're more comfortable with, go for it. But you just got to understand that just because you do one or the other it doesn't change the standards that you're going to be held to. So it's, if you can meet those standards, by all means, do whichever you want to, you're more comfortable with. And like I said, being able to do both should be a goal of yours in the long run. Because again, you don't know which team you might end up with. You don't know what system they're running. If you're in the NFL, you they run similar systems, but the bottom line is some coaches prefer you to no look. Some guys don't care. Some guys will tell you to look. So, so did that, and that's that's interesting. I didn't know that about, you know, having, well, obviously I knew that about having preference, but the ability to do both obviously does set yeah. you right? It's just like, you know, a high school kicker being able to punt and do kickoffs, you know, more facets to his game, the more dynamic he is. Um, yeah. Is that tough for you uh, going back and forth from a look to no look? Does that mess with your technique a little bit yeah. personally? It can, it can do, depending on how deep your understanding is of the mechanics. I think is the best place to start because the mechanics don't change a lot. It's just more so if you're so used to one way and you try and do the other, it just throws it off because the timing is just a little different. But again, if you have a deeper understanding and you wrap it, you can do both. And some guys, you know, do both. And and the one thing that tripped me out when I started to look at the pro style was the double look. So like I'd look through, I'd, I'd approach the ball, grab the ball, so they knew I was ready to go. Because at that point, like, you need to be a threat to snap whenever. Some guys grab it straight away with two hands, so they're a threat to go immediately. But then you look up, you sort of see what front they're running, right? And you go down, make sure you're good. Then you can look up again, you know, and just double check that it's all, you know, what you expect it to be. And then you can snap it. And so, again, you can do that from no look perspective. You can do it from a look perspective. It's just, yeah, it, like I said, it's just the ability to, to do both. I think is a, is a little undervalued. And I think, again, I hate the idea of preaching you have to snap one or the other. Now, like I said, some things work better for different systems, but if you can do both, especially moving to pro college, it's harder to master both. But moving to pro, you should be able to have the ability to do both. Absolutely. And I'm sure that double look helps throw off teams that are, okay, when he puts his head down one time, he's going to snap. And that's one of the downsides of the no look. And I see that in a lot of young snappers, they will be down. And then when, when they're ready to go, they'll sort of wind themselves up and they'll get really tall. And then it's almost every time they hit the same point, they just go because it's their mechanism for 
activating their snap, right? It's like they'll, they'll wind up to a point where they hit a certain point and they like a certain body position, then they immediately go. There's no pause. There's no, you know, and that's fine, but they don't stand. They start keying on that. You know, I, from what part of the stuff that I did at state was I would scout their punt team, you know, and I could pick up cues on their long snapper because I, I know what I look for, right? I know what I do. And I could say, oh, you can see the second he like picks his head up, he's going to go. Like there's no double take. There's no, you know, and it's, it's just, yeah, it's, it's these little cues and you got to try and stop that. But it's hard to do when you're young, you know, because you want to be in the same position every time, which is great. But it's just, you know, as it gets, as you get older, you need to be able to be able to get to that position quick. Right. And, it, and it's so. a timing thing too, right? I mean, how, how did you, okay. So if you're, if you're giving advice to a young guy, you know, find something that works for you. It doesn't have to be either way yeah. and, and develop, just make sure you get the fundamentals down. As you get older, though, how did you combat people picking up on, all right, when he gets to a certain body position, he's snapping? Again, it, it's, it's, you know, always being set in the right position. So, like, when I would approach the ball, I would set my feet. Same, same process every time, right? And this is part of practicing for the game. Set my feet, sit my elbows down to my knees. So, I felt like my, my butt was at the right height. I'd grab the ball with one hand, and I, then I would look up. But I'm already in a position where I can snap from. And then from there, all I've got to do is just double hand it down. I would double hand it down, and then I would pick my head up every every couple of snaps. You know, just mess with them a little bit because it's fun to mess with. You know, that's part of the game. You get to mess with them a little bit because the thing is, people don't like sitting in that snapping position. I didn't like it. I was too like antsy. Like sitting there in that position for a long time can really mess with snappers. And I don't know that a lot of there's a lot of special teams coaches that don't understand that. Um, you know. But it depends on your snapper too, because for me personally, I was too antsy. I hated it. And the longer I sat there, the more I thought about it. You know, that's why I like to be able to be like, oh yeah, cool, cool, cool. Bang, and go, you know, like and just be quick about it because I didn't give myself time to think about it either. You know, so it's just one of those things, man. It changes. You see in the NFL, man, they, they're looking around and they go very quickly from looking around to snapping the ball. It's a very quick transition because one, it doesn't give them time to react. Two, you don't think about it because it's just second nature, you know. So that's so it. Just it, yeah. It, it's a body position that you're getting in, and it's also working it in practice. Um, that's yeah. it's funny that you. I love that because these are things that coaches, like you said, special teams coaches don't think about. Talking again with Coach Tucker a couple of weeks ago, yeah. and he was saying, you know, he sees a tendency when guys have their head down for a long amount of time. Yeah. to when the ball just, tends to go high. You know, and I've, I've talked to long snappers before that when their head is down, uh, you know, blood or blood is rushing to your head. You have sweat in your yeah. eye. It just makes it a lot tougher to snap a consistent ball. 100% because, but not only that, like I said, you overthink it. Mm-hmm. You know, bottom line is the longer you sitting in there, the worse you, you know, the more you're thinking about what's going on and you're like, oh, crap. And all of a sudden you just can overthink it, the crap. Usually the defense is talking crap to you and, you, you know, they're trying to get in your head. And I, it's funny because <laughs> I used to take pride in the fact I could tell our linebacker, like, this is what you need to say to him to mess him up, right? Usually the first thing is if you can make a long snapper laugh, usually they mess it up, right? Secondly, if you, I would just tell him, oh, your grip looks a little unbalanced there. Like, you know, oh, or, oh, look, your butt looks a little high. You might sell this one, you know, and just you tell them what to say because you can really mess with them. It's funny because... But mental side, if they're not mentally strong, it's it's easy to mess with a specialist. 
Oh my God, man, that is some valuable information. I can't wait to put that in practice, man. Get in, yeah, absolutely. Get in the specialist's head, right? And that's what coaches do to kickers in, in uh, practice. Go, you know, yell at them and say all this crazy stuff to them. But no one's dogging the long snappers. Where's their mental tough? You know, it's something that needs to be worked on and appreciated, I think. Yeah, well, it is because, you know, they say go unnoticed, which I know is a special teams you um, thing they do, go unnoticed. But it's true. If, if a good long snapper, you usually don't notice it out because, you know, they're not, if they do their job well, usually nothing's ever said about them, which is a good thing, right? And if you know who the long snapper is, you know, because they're always being talked about, it's, it's usually a bad thing. But, oh, yeah, I, a practice, I think, is a big one where you can really train them. But, again, you don't want to put them into a bad funk. Right, like, and that's the other thing. It's hard to break that bad funk as a as a specialist, right? So, yeah, it's a fine mix. You've got to sort of gauge it on who your snapper is. I loved competition, so if someone challenged me, you know, like, oh, you can't do this, or oh, you can't do that, I'm like, oh, like, let's do it. But like, you know, it's one of those things that, like, you know, I loved, I love that side of it. So, I always be in competition with somebody. So, absolutely, yeah. and I think that's why charting is is so important. Uh, Coach talked oh, a lot. At Mississippi State. Now, talk to me real quick because um, I, I, we hit some great spots there on the mental game already. But uh, I want to go back to the physical real quick. You're talking about your chop, right? And I know you want to take yeah. your energy directly straight back at the punter. How high is too high of a chop, and how do you measure that? Obviously, you're so, not thinking about that, but when you're watching, you can no. tell. But you have drills to work on these things, right? One of my favorite drills for me, again, because I like to rip the ball really hard. Um, so to, obviously that's what everyone wants to do. But I used to love putting a cone on the ground and do it. This is a no ball, but like coming through and making sure you hit that cone on the way through. So you had low hands because ideally, even if you follow through to the right spot, it's going to help. But if you're chopping high and you're releasing, you're releasing late or high, I knew my release point. You should know your release point as a long snapper, right? Like where you start like coming off the ball. So for me, it was about my ankles. You know, the little bone on your ankle? That was my spot, right? Like that, if I knew if I was releasing the ball there, even if I messed up my follow through for the most part, the ball would come out at least at a good height so I wouldn't sail it, right? Now, if you start like, for lack of a better expression, apologies, pussyfooting the snap and you're releasing that point, it's going to hit the ground. But as long as you're in the position to rip it and you know your points, you know where you're supposed to get to, it's, you know, it's just one of those things, man. It's all about can you replicate it? So for me, it was always about hitting that spot. So for my chop, my arms were almost straight at that point when I hit that spot on my ankles and then I was coming through and finishing. So I was like, from here, from that good position here, I'm coming through and hitting that point where I was fully crunched, fully tucked and my arms were relatively straight, they would they would create that like pendulum. So it would be down and through. So your ball's coming out like a plane, right? You if you see somebody snap go like that it's usually like a mechanics issue but if you see it now it's okay to have a little bit of a like you know i mean that's inevitable but the bottom line is if it comes out relatively flat then you know they've got a good release point because it should be coming out and flying up at the punter and the punter should basically just be catching it coming straight at him which makes his job easy because he can see it the whole way so breaking you know if you've got a loopy snap you can his eyes can go up and then you know it's what about, so tell me, that's a great drill too. Like how big is this cone and are you using a, you said you're not using a ball to get your hands over the cone? No, I mean, 
Oh, well, there's a couple of things. So to, to work on my whip, I would usually put like a stick mm-hmm. right in. So I have my ball, I'd be set in my stance. A stick would be, fuck this background makes it hard. The stick would be like there and you'd come up and over the stick, right? And then you'd chop down and through. So you do it without a ball first because it's hard to hit the cone, but you'd go up and over the stick, down and through and hit the cone, right? And then it's usually like one of the small little cone marks. You can put a little, little tennis ball on there if you want or something like that. It depends on how tall the guy is, where his release point is, how much power he has. If you have a lot of power, you've got to release lower, obviously. Um, but yeah, it just depends on the, on the snapper really. Um, but the idea is low hands driving down. As long as you're driving hard and through, usually you're gonna you're gonna hit a good spot. So and a it lot just of depends. That, and, and, yeah, I was just about to say that, right? A lot of that comes from that core strength activating that core yeah. right, as your your chin tucks, right? Then your elbows come and yeah. that core is locking. Or I, I would literally they would put like when I so. I, I was a gym junkie. I don't think that's a secret. Bottom line was I spent a lot of time there during the day, like between classes or whatever. So I would actually put a band around my chin to work how hard I could tuck that chin, right? There were times where I would I would sit on my back, I would lay on my back, put a band around my chest and have my hands here and just work on that like, you know, that mo that that strength to be able to do that. There's ways where you can be kneeling on the ground and you have the band attached higher up. And you would start here and you would tuck and pull really hard, holding onto a band and stuff like that. Just working all those, you know, how strong you are in those movements. There's tons you can do. And it depends on how creative your strength coaches. You know, I, I was lucky. I had great strength coaches. You know, one, one's now San Jose State, one's at Wyoming. Like, they were great guys. And they had time and they spent time with me. They, I valued that because... You know, that was one of the biggest things in my game was I had to make sure I was strong, fast, because again, I didn't have the levers to make, to make a lot of power. Wow, that's awesome, man. I love, and first of all, I love bands and, and specialists. They, yeah. They're married awesome. together, you know, they go together. Yeah. What were these, like when you put it around your chin and your, your core, what were they attached to? Was yeah. holding it above you? Usually I get like some, like I, I was lucky that my roommate was the long snapper that transferred in to, to replace me when I finished. Um, and Austin, Austin Reeves, a good long snapper. You should look him up. Um, but he, he would hold the hold it. But alternatively, you can just tie it around a pole at the right height, and then just tuck, put it around your chin, so you're in your position, or you can tuck because that should initiate your snap. See how that activates this and this, and you get, and see how it breaks all that, and then you're then you're already into your motion to. To whip and chop it basically so this these would be so, dry runs right they wouldn't be with the ball and no not not usually because you can have a band in the way but you know this is this is but this is the thing not a lot of some you got to understand you can work on your movements without ripping a ball right and it's a lot of things that i think a lot of snappers think you have to rip 100 balls which you which is great it's good to get the reps right but at the end of the day there's things you can do especially in the weight room that help and translate right and things like med balls, like lots of really, you, you would start here and you'd crunch really hard and slam that med ball with that same whip motion that would work and you'd finish really strong. And, you know, there's so much you can do to strengthen your snap that I think gets neglected a little bit. Um, and the good coach, the good snapping coaches will work on that stuff. So Wiggly helped me with that. Uh, Stelta helped me with that. You know, it's just one of those things that like these people, that get it and understand that the game is changing for specialists and that it's moving to a more modern 
approach, you know, it's no longer the, the center that's snapping. It's an actual, it's an athlete. And the athletes on the rushing are getting better. So you have to be more efficient. And the only way you get more efficient is getting, you know, working on the mechanics of it and making yourself stronger and faster. It's, the, it's just the way. It's like every other position. You, man, you, you are hitting on some fantastic points. And I love that because I'm always preaching to my kickers and punters, you don't have to hit 50 balls in a day, right? What I want to see you do is replicate that swing over and over again. If you can consistently and efficiently replicate your swing, replicate your snap, you're getting better, but you're not wearing out your muscles. So that's exactly. And I think it depends on the person. Me personally, I never got worn out with snapping a football. I, I don't know whether that was coming from playing like a position in college, then moving to snapping where I felt like I wasn't doing enough. So it didn't really phase me. But at the end of the day, yeah, I, there's nothing's going to replicate, nothing's going to replicate the full release of the ball. Right. Like, but there's still stuff you can work on. And I would often pair it with a snap, right? Like you work on something specifically, translate it straight into a snap, like one-to-one. And then that's how I would work on these things, especially things that are geared towards being faster or stronger through a movement. I'd pair it straight into a snap. When you say you know, so I can translate. It, like you would do 10 reps of that drill and then you would do 10 snaps or how would you, what do you mean by pair it? Yeah. I mean, like I would literally do maybe three reps of that drill and then go and snap a ball. Like, but depending on what it was, if I was working my chin, I wouldn't go snap a 15 yard ball. It'd be into like a slow motion snap or something like, like so, you know, making sure I'm, and then eventually I'd build into, cause I would usually start with those small mechanic drills and move into the heavy hardcore band power movements, which would translate over to my full 15 yard snaps. So it just depends. You have to pair all this and that's where like program programming is so important because all these, and again, it's a good concept to learn from your strength coach. I was lucky that I was a strength coach prior to this. So I understand programming and progression and all that kind of stuff. Whereas, so it's a good thing if you're not sure about that, talk to your strength coach about it. Say, hey, look, I'm trying to do this. I'm trying to improve these movements, you know, and you can, I build that relationship with these strength coaches, you know, and that was the thing. They helped me with that stuff. So yeah, it's, it's interesting when you look at it like that, but it's true. It's the same as weightlifting, man. Every, everything's a progression. It's muscle memory. You know, it's the same thing as teaching yourself to squat. You know, you got to start small, build up, you know, work on the fine, finer details of it. It's the same thing, man. Well, the, and that's, that's my favorite thing about specialists, I think, is learning what makes those fundamentals and then working on it in a different arena, you know? So that's why I talk to guys like you that are way smarter than me and understand that. And I like, <laughs> Yeah, man. Uh, okay, now tell me, uh, moving along here, that's great. We, we hit on the fundamentals, you know, we hit on different ways you can work it. When you're watching these high school guys, and, and where we originally met, if you don't mind me telling the, the background stories, in Indianapolis uh, last summer yeah. with Brian and Chris at the NKR camp, uh, their All-American camp, and I had a great time, man. I was learning how to Aussie rules punt from you, <laughs> kick, and um, yeah, and we were just talking some ball, but when you're when you're evaluating high school guys, you know, what do you see that they struggle with in making that transition to college? It could be fundamentals or it could be a, a different side of it too. Go ahead. Let me let me think on that one second. I am dying here. I've drunk too much water, too much piece of LA. Give me one second. I, I, I tried to sit as long as I All right, we took our we took our so much better. We're back from our, our brief break. Or just yeah, take the break. Okay. Yeah, go ahead. Talk to me about uh, high school 
long snappers and one evaluating right so look the bottom line is this i think at high school level again too much importance is put on the speed of the snap now obviously if you're wanting to go to a high level of college you need to hit a certain standpoint of at least a seven five right like that's you know if you can be relatively accurate around that point then you know you're okay I don't think this whole thing of always snap a six six is realistic, right? Like some guys claim that and you time it and it's not correct. And don't be that guy that puts always oh, snap a six six and then you don't snap a six six. Like you, college coach is going to see that immediately and be like, no, come on, man. Um, I think just be consistent. Consistency is the biggest one. Everyone can have a good day of camp or whatever it may be, but I think be able to consistently, you know, improve consistently you know, perform because at the end of the day, that's all you're looking for as a coach, right? Is somebody who can consistently do the job they're supposed to do, right? And again, it's not always going to be perfect. And especially high school guys, you know, don't chastise them for, you know, for, for having an off, off ball or something like that, you know, see how they rebound. And I think a, a good aspect of this is I went to the Wisconsin camp at that point. I think I, I, I was crushing it physically at that point, but, I was doing really well. Come the live punt session in front of the special teams coordinator, I sail a ball, right? Like full on sail one, like, and I was like, oh man, I'm so sorry. Like, you know, cause I've been killing it. Right. I was like, I was perfect charting to that point. He's like, oh, I'm sorry. He's like, man, I don't care. He's like, he's like, look, at the end of the day, I just want to see what you do next because that's going to happen. It's going to happen at some point. So let's see what you do. And, and the next ball, great ball. He's like, see, he's like, that's all I wanted to see. Because, and it, it happened, did, okay, we were playing Apps, Appalachian, 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 App State, I call them App State, I don't mean, North Carolina, South Carolina, whatever. But I was playing App State, big, their big homecoming game. This was in our bowl season too. So we, you know, we we're trying to win as many games as we could. Um, and we had a motion man on our punt scheme, right? And I, we had hand signals as well. So I thought our guy had signaled me. I snapped the ball straight into the, into the motion man right? Ball hit the deck. They recover inside our 20, right? We were winning the game at that point. Luckily, we picked it off. Yeah, they freaked out initially, but he came over to me. He's like, are you good? And I'm like, yeah, I'm good, man. It, it's just a mistake. And he's like, all right, cool. And that was it. That's all there was. And that's the one thing I love when a special teams coordinator understand when's the right time to get on someone and when's the right time to pick them up. Because there's times to get on someone when they, when they don't care. That's when you get on them. But when they like, you can see that they actually give a crap, and they like, they feel, you know, pick them up, man, because if you get on them, it's just going to make things ten times worse. You know? Yeah. So. I, well, what are some? And that's actually a really good point. You know, and it, it takes knowing your specialist and and knowing yep. their mindset. But yeah, I was going to say. So, when are some good times then to, to get on on them and jump them? You know, maybe when they are. I think practice is practice and off season is a big one because I think. It depends, like you said, it depends on your specialist and knowing them. Like me personally, I was a workhorse. I loved it. I, I ate that crap up every day. I would be out there snapping daily, working out every day, even if the team didn't have a workout. I loved it. But there's some guys, and it's a bit of a culture and specialist, and, you know, whether we want to admit it or not, it's true. We can be lazy. I, I've been lazy at times too. It's just there's this culture of, oh, you you know, oh, it's good enough, it's okay, like, you know, type deal. Whereas I think the guys that excel and make it, they're the ones that really like take that challenge on. And I think that's the time to get on them is when they're one being lazy, like sitting down at practice was a big no, no to me, you know, and it happened and they, they got, they got, you know, I didn't, I didn't involve myself with that. I went off and did my, did my own thing. But the bottom line is it's like, yeah, 
Okay, get on them when when the time's right because there's times when they're lazy or when they don't care, and that's the one that really bugs me is people that don't care. And you know, it, like I said, everyone's going to mess up, but if you intentionally turn it around and get straight back to working on it, I'm cool with that, right? Like, it's like that special teams quarter. I said, I just want to see what you do next. I don't care that you messed up; it's going to happen, right? Everyone misses, you know. Even in the NFL, you still miss, but their best thing is they can flip it around like quick smoke. And that's and that's the thing that I want to see. It's okay, you missed, cool. And, and next minute I see you over there working on it, hey, I'm good with that. Well, it's you not know, it's, Yeah, like I said. No, what are you saying? I was just saying, it's like, it's, you know, and there's that line between not caring and shrugging it off, like being able to shift it. And the, that's the hardest part to pick is the guys that either, well, do they not care or are they good at just letting it slide off their back but i think it's their actions their next action is what will tell you whether they care or not absolutely you know i think uh it's let not letting a bad snap turn into one bad day turn it into a one bad week you know so what about that and that's that's very informative i like that what about for you like when you were snapping when you got to new mexico state obviously you got more and more refined Mm -hmm. i'm interested to see what did you like to focus on then now that you had maintained these fundamentals or what did you struggle with? I think what I struggled with at times was the mental side was a big one for me. I think, like I said, I was a perfectionist. When I had a slightly off snap, I would get on my, I would really get into my own head. And I think it's a bit, that's a battle that a lot of guys have, right? And it's, it's all specialists because it's such a mental game. And I was lucky that one of my strength coaches was our psych sports psych coach and he helped me a lot through that and that's where I got the whole focus on the one thing and have your own little one catch you know catchphrase slash saying that you can revert back to that will pull you back into line and I think um you know his thing he tried to get me to say grip and rip it but to me that wasn't enough to like focus on something I needed to focus on but for some guys it worked because some guys you get in your own head and you and you don't rip the ball anymore and then everything's out of whack so I think, um, yeah, having just a little something that can revert you back to focusing on one thing, and then whether that be a saying or whatever it may be, that's I think that was a big one for me because again, I could rip the ball, I could run downfield, I could tackle, I could do all that, but if something went off mentally or I had a bad snap, and it's happened, man, it it happened. I told you, I literally screwed us in our own twenty because you know I was jittery, and um, I think that ability is just practice and timing and time and. And just accepting that it's going to happen and just to continue working on it, right? And like, yeah, yeah. I think the mental side is a big one that, that a lot of people struggle with. Yeah. That, that is so huge to me too. I always give my specialist a mental cue, right? Have one thing. And, and this is something I've talked about in earlier podcasts, but I would go into a practice week or a, or a pregame and have three mental cues in my mind and try them out as I hit reps, right? You know, keep my ankle locked out. Uh, you know, quiet feet or wide plant. And then whatever just stuck with me the best that day, I'd roll with that. Now, admittedly, I don't know if that's good to do in pregame, but if you can find one or two that sticks with you, that's really good. I love that sports psychologists are even recommending that. That means we're on the right track. Tell me, what else did you learn from your time working with the sports psychologist? I think – you know, like I said, it's all about it's all about your approach. I think is is the big one because it it's your it's your approach every day, and that was another thing we stressed. It's your approach every day. Um, so, preparing yourself mentally on a daily basis. You know, 
practicing game reps because if you're not practicing what you're gonna do in the game now i'm not just talking physically i'm talking mentally like i literally had cues in my mind i'll go about okay set my feet set my feet grab the ball okay what scheme are they running and then i'd, I'd play it out in my head and then i'll be like okay cool yeah and then i gotta be thinking about what i'm going through i would have people give me the same signals i would have people i think that allows you to have that autonomy come game time because i think if you're thinking when it comes to the game it's too late do you know what i mean like it's it's one thing especially in pre-game in pre-game i'd have my drills i would do and all that stuff but i think when it comes time to rip in the ball you just there's no more time for thinking you just got to do it and you got to trust that you've done the prep to make that happen it's that visualization too right i love that you're talking mm. to me about because you're you know you're preaching the choir i love that of you know seeing yourself hearing the calls and doing it you know i talked to my guys about yeah. doing it the night before and seeing yourself something as yeah. intricate as putting on your socks and putting on your yeah. shoulder pads and seeing the colors that the team's gonna wear the next week or that, yeah. that next game okay good here's another one i'm gonna throw some uh well actually one more thing in practice right how did you put yourself in game situations was there different drills that you like to do or just mentally how would you put yourself in situations it's hard. It's hard given, you know, it, the game is so hard to replicate. A couple of things I like doing. I love putting music in my ears, taking like some, you know, some wireless headphones, which obviously in this day and age is, you know, it's a luxury that we have, right? Is we can put crowd noise in your ears, whatever you want to do, depending on where you play, what you're exposed to in a game, because that changes at every level, which is fine. But for me, I like to put, especially when you were going to a big stadium, I loved putting it in. And, you know, I think the other side of it is, again, it's it's doing the little things. And a big one that snappers do that I, that bugs me to no end, they don't approach the ball like a game. So they'll usually start already in their stance or they will, you know, take one step up to the ball. That doesn't happen in a game, man. Like either you're running on from the sideline straight to your stance or you're coming out of a huddle. For us, it's it started out in the huddle and I would break it. But then it evolved in my second year to coming on from the sideline. I would be on the ball they would be in a huddle and then obviously they'll break. So it's quicker for the defense to have to react. But for me, I, my punter and I would already be set. So I would practice it by at least running on from at least the hashes or something like that to replicate the timing because the timing is another one. You can't take forever when you're snapping the ball. You also can't go as quick as you would when you're just ripping balls. So I think that's an important one as well. And then my thing was, is I couldn't leave practice until I'd had a certain number of perfect balls, right? On, on, in a game situation setting, right? And my, I was lucky that my punter was good like that. Like he would be with me and all that. So we'd go and get, okay, I'd run out, set. Yep, this call, this call. Yep, we'd call it We'd call it going out like a yeah, punt night, whatever. And okay, good set. Yep, cool. Okay, I'd be doing all my motions and all of a sudden it would be, well, yep, I guess signal, bang, and go. Like it's, that's not about the best way you can replicate it because it's not, there's no replicating exact game day, but at least going through the whole process from start to finish. And even the, on days where I wasn't close to a game, I'd, I'd run downfield like I would for my own conditioning um, because it's the same. I would like, boom, snap, I'd bang, boom, get out and, and chase the ball like I would like a game. And at least that gives you the whole thing because a lot of things is people don't do anything after the snap when they're practicing. And that's not realistic either. You know, I, love so that. I think that's a big deal. Hmm. tell me tell me about uh because you were good i mean i've seen i've seen the highlights and i was actually trying to pull them up i don't know why i can't find them but uh the highlights of you covering down the field um you know hmm. talk to me was there how would you rep that is there a drill that you'd like to do that works on the coverage yeah. 
And, and in my second year, we brought in a, we brought Coach Ron Pence, who snapped in the NFL a little bit um, with the Raiders and whatnot, and, and coached at UC, UC um, at Cali University before he came to us. Um, and he, he had some good drills for that. So little things like my other snapper would be maybe 20 yards downfield. You don't want to be sprinting full fields every 100, 100 reps, but like maybe 20 yards downfield. And if you had a spare guy, you'd have him in front of you trying to block you with a bag. So you'd snap boom, you know, engage, shed, whatever you were trying to do in that day. Maybe we just hit him with a, you know, a little move and a, and a rip or whatever it may be. And then get downfield, stack him. And then wherever, and then he, he would be holding one of the, you know, those tackle bags, just like a long tackle bag. And he'd be just running sideways and like drag it behind him. And you can just, you know, alley, like tackle and roll type deal. Kind of like you would on, in a get more of a game situation where you're trying to wrap and roll with the legs. Um, you know, just things like that is a good way to do it. We did a lot of special teams drills where I would get involved with the coverage guys. So, like, all the coverage drills of, like, beating the block and, and then, like, stacking and tackling. I'd be doing a lot of that, you know. And then we had a lot of drills where it'd be two of us on one returner and we he was trying to split us and we would have to work together to pinch him, stuff like that. Or it'd be three of us on two returners or whatever it may be. You know, we did a lot of that stuff and I got involved in all of it because it's my job. But a lot of specialists don't like to get involved. They made our punters go and tackle people, you know. So it's they hated it, but I mean, I loved it. They hated it because they're not used to it. But at the end of the day, you still, it might come up. So why not practice it? Well, and it's putting your specialists in positions that they might come in. So like same thing, talking about Coach Graham there at Florida and, you know, he'll put his guys yeah. where it's like you and a returner or you and a returner out there on the field and there's no one around like, so tackling in space or he's about to beat you and you got to trip him up. So you're already yeah. in a bad position and you got to get yeah. to your positioning and make and Look, and this is what bugs me is like, everyone's, everyone's like gets bummed out if they get beat. But at the end of the day, man, there's a reason they're returners, right? And the reason we're specialists. Okay. Like 99% of specials aren't going to be as athletic as the returner, okay? And that's just a given fact. And the sooner you accept that, the better. You just have to understand like how to use your what's around you, right? Like if you're a punter, you know, it's a good thing in rugby we use tracking the hip, right? Like, so if you're running sideways, he's coming down, use the sideline as your defender, track his hip and attack. And so you don't overrun it because a lot of punters and whatever will overrun and they get juke back inside. And, you know, end up on a highlight reel. But that's, it, it's the nature of the game, man. It happens to everybody. But, you know, that's why you practice those things, man, because you hope it doesn't happen to you. But if it does, at least you're prepared and you understand, okay, he's coming up the sideline, he's broken outside, I can attack him at an angle and I can have that sideline of my defender and I can just try and pinch him in. Some coaches will teach you to try and cut him off. It just depends, you know. I love the old ankle tap. It's a great one. Yeah, that is. Because <laughs> when, they, when they beat me well. <laughs> We're not supposed to make those plays, right? So when we do, no. it's a freaking celebration. Like, you know, that's a that's, that's a right. thing. You're saving a tackle. Yeah. You're saving a uh, touchdown. Okay, I'm going to give you – I'm going to spit some situations at you, all right, and you tell okay. me how you would respond or how you would coach a guy up, all right? Okay. Uh, let's talk about guys, and I know we briefly talked about the difference between uh, hitches and actually taking your momentum. Right. Back. Uh, but this say you have a guy and he definitely has a hitch how do, how do you get rid of okay. that and define a hitch first of all for it's just when you pick the ball up off the ground without creating any backwards momentum at least that's in my eyes because you it's wasted movement right you're okay to pick the ball up off the ground to create separation to be able to drive it the difference is if you're creating the hitch and it's going straight up 
and nothing is going backwards, then you're wasting movement, right? That's not efficient. Whereas if you're, if you're creating that separation, but also already into your movement. So if you looked at it from side on where everything's still going, the ball's still going back, but it's going in like a movement, then that's, then that's a whip to me. But um, for a hitch, again, it's kind of one of those things that like you can start by putting your hand slightly, like maybe head height above, above where the ball starts. So realistically, it should still come up, but it should miss your hand. And then back down, you can do the old slap drill. We try and slap it out of his hands. You know, it just depends on which way you're trying to coach him because you don't want him to be scared of separating from the ground because then, you you know, it depends on what you're trying to coach. Some guys like to trap, you know, the old school thing was like straight backwards, right? Like the snap. But again, you're not going to get the same drive out of it without creating that separation. So I think with a hitch, the best thing to do is show them film of themselves. I think, you know, technology is a huge advantage these days. So film them from side on, show them the motion of the ball and get them to figure out like where, you know, how we can fix that. And you can, then you can prescribe drills, just like, again, strength coach prescribe exercise to fix certain things, prescribe drills to, to work on certain aspects of the snap. Yeah. And that's, and that's so important too, because yeah, it's, it's tough to know, especially if you really don't know long snapping that well, is where to draw that line. I've seen so many snappers. That's, that's actually one of my pet peeves is when guys go from like straight on the ground, straight back. I mean, you yeah. know, it might have good times. There's no momentum. There's no drive. There's no drive. And the ball loops. And it's like, even if you're right. a great long snapper, you know, and, and you work at it, yeah, it'll get better. But it's like, it's kind of rough to watch, at least for me. But, but think about it like this, right? If you go straight back from the ground, now, again, you can have small whips and stuff. Like, if you're really efficient, really strong, you don't need a massive whip, right? Like, um, like Matt Osbrich, I seen a clip of him the other day with Wiggly. He barely whips it that much, but he drives that ball fast. He's just a big, strong guy. And that's the NFL, man. That's the way they go. They're so efficient. They're just so, you know, like mechanical. But the thing is, you think about it like this. If you go straight back, the only way your, your motion can go is like that, right, to get the ball to where it's supposed to go. And that's going to create a loop. There's no drive, right? But if you separate and then drive down or through, the ball's going to come out of the height that you want it to. So, yeah, it's again, that's why I hate that thing of don't, don't hitch. And like, yeah, it's true. You should hitch and you can work on that, but don't chastise them for trying to separate from the ground because you want that at least some kind of separation to be able to allow him to drive down and through. Yeah. Right. And that's like a kicker who who's playing a draw or, you know, he swings around his body. Yeah. So he's playing a fade every time. And it's like, that's not consistent. But I do see what you're yeah. saying there. If you get a big guy who can really just yeah. back there, he doesn't need this long, elaborate uh, yeah. put down. Yeah. And, and again, that's all going to be snapper to snapper. It's a snapper to snapper basis. Again, no one size fits all. There's mechanics that work, mechanics that don't work. But at the end of the day, it's, you know, it's what's going to work for the guy. Like I said, Osbridge, big, tall, ex-tight end, can really rip it. Same Bradley, same deal. They're just trying to make sure their follow through is correct so the ball comes out perfect each time. They're strong and big enough and long enough that it's not going to matter as much. Whereas for me, you know, short, you know, stumpy dude, it's, it's like I have to generate that power because I just don't have the same mechanical levers. And it's just, it's nature. It's not anything you can do or change. It's just you got to make the most of what you got. No doubt. No doubt. Yeah. I'm right there with you on that. I love that. Okay. Um, talk about if you're coaching, uh, you got a kid that's coming from high school, right? And he was snapping. There's a lot of high school will do this. They'll snap at 12. They'll snap at 13. And now he's going yeah. to 
a college team who snaps at 15 and they might even do some offset stuff too. Does that change anything for him? And how does he, it, is it more of a mental thing? Common misconception that offset is a longer snap. If you bring them up half a yard, usually it's the same distance snap. So for, I usually always snapped at 14 and a half. I knew that I could hit them with my, with my laces at a good position at 14 and a half. Um, so at that point, it's, yeah, it, the thing is, and this is the hardest part for them to understand, is that it doesn't change anything for you. It sh- theoretically, it shouldn't change anything for you. Your ball should be traveling the same path no matter what the distance. And that's a hard concept because you think it's deeper, I have to rip it harder or throw it a little bit higher or whatever. But if you have good mechanics, it shouldn't change anything for you. The only thing, again, at that distance, I would just get them to focus on where they're finishing, where the ball ends up, and just get them to look at how that's you know, how that's changed for them. But again, a yard difference, although if you change anything in the mechanics, it'll make a bigger difference. Obviously it gets amplified the, the longer, it's the same as kicking, you know, slightly off at this distance at 50 yards, it's about 10 yards that way. You know, it's it's the same thing, but my, my advice to them is don't change anything. Don't let the distance affect what you do because that's when you're actually gonna have problems, you know? And that's the big thing, the big misconception. That, that is it. And I love that's that's one of the reasons we do stuff like this, you know, and talk to people like this is that I love breaking those common misconceptions or, you know, common yeah. that people think about miss really um, for NFL guys or and the guys that you've been around or are uh, trained around. Is yeah. there, you know, for field goals, obviously the, the goal is laces out every time. Is that the same on punt? Do they count the revolutions? Are they aware? You know, what's your I mean, thing? no, not really. I just, I, it, Again, it's consistent. It's the same as field goal. You field goal getting your laces right is just knowing how many rotations your ball is going to have between you and whatever distance. Again, eight yards is ideal because it's NFL distance, and they won't let you change your distance. Some some college teams will let you change between seven and eight to fit your thing, but it makes it harder in the game. So again, you can just rotate your ball and hold it differently, um, but you you have to figure out how many rotations you have um, between. You know, you and the thing. I knew at eight yards, my ball was actually bang on with laces. So I was lucky in that respect that for the way I snapped, it had the, it had three rotations. Now, say if um, you were, yeah, say if you were at eight yards and you consistently, every time the ball is at nine o'clock, so it's facing away mm-hmm. from the holder, what change do you make? Do you rotate the ball right? Do you rotate it rotate left? Rotate your ball. Uh, that's interesting. Uh, on the side. So, yeah, I rotate to the right quarter, quarter panel. Well, I mean, like a panel. Yeah. It's going to throw people off, I think. I think I got that right, man. It's, I honestly haven't snapped in like yeah, um, since my back issues. But, yeah, from, from memory. But bottom line is, if it, you're off by a quarter, you rotate at the quarter. Um, and it's the same It's the same deal. So, it, it doesn't matter. But... You can rotate the ball in your hands. You can adjust your distance to allow for an extra half rotation or whatever, quarter rotation. But again, you got to understand that when you go to go pro, they're not going to let you change your distance. Right. So you got to get used to rotating your ball to the whatever distance you need to. And every every hold is going to be different. So you have to be good at adjusting because some guys catch it further out. Some guys have longer arms. Some guys keep it tighter. It just depends on their holding style, you know, their size, just everything, man. It really... 
So you just have to be good at understanding what's happening. And I think, again, understanding the snap, understanding how the ball flies, all this kind of stuff, understanding how you can affect your snap, all that stuff will come with time, but it's something that you need to understand so that when you go to apply it, you can make those changes on the fly. Oh, absolutely. And this is this is stuff, you know, you're not going to pick up right away. You're, you're a high school guy. No. Even when you initially get to college, right, this might not be the first year or two, but once you get in there and you get comfortable, these are things you have to start thinking about if your goal is to play at the next yeah. I think the first and foremost, accuracy is everything on field goal. Even if your laces aren't great, especially when you get to college, you just need to be on point. You know, you can't be fucking doing all this. You know what I mean? Like, as long as you're just relatively on point, at least for your first little while, get that down packed. Make sure that's on point. Then you can start messing with your laces because don't try and change everything at once. You know what I mean? Like, make small changes. Get get 1% better every day. Same old cliches. You know, it all, it, they're cliches for a reason, man. It's because, you know, they stand the test of time for a reason. It's like, okay, 1% better every day. Well, I need to work on, you know, being a little better with my accuracy. And then you fix your mechanics to fit that, like, you know, mental side or whatever it may be to fix it. And then once you got that down, then start messing with your laces. You know, I think that's going to be ideal. Obviously, if you're playing at a high college level, you should be able to hit that pretty quick. Yeah, that's, yeah. Well, yeah, I think that 1% every day, that's my favorite. You know, I love saying that because it's so true. You know, you're trying to get a little bit better each day. So you look back on a year and you're like, man, I got 365% better. Uh, okay, yeah. last situation here. I'm a 5'10", 235-pound uh, long snapper. What do I need to do and do well to make it to the NFL? I think first and foremost is accuracy. That's the big one because it doesn't matter what size. If you can't hit it, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what size you are. Um, now, you have less leeway as a smaller guy. Um, less room for error because the bigger you are, they can work with you and they're more willing to work with you. Um, now, the small guys, again, it's about accuracy and just because that way when they make the mistake, you look better, right? Like, So there's that. And I think your, your athletic ability and your ability to prove that you can physically handle because the conception is the bigger guy can handle it because he's bigger. Now, I can tell you from first thing i was i was stronger than 90 percent of all specialists in college right you know i think um my max squat came out at like 625 right so i could tell you that like physically i could handle it but because of my height a lot of time the conception was oh he can't take the beating and i guarantee you i dish the beating out like it was you know it it's one of those things that like you have to prove it to a different standard just because the cons- because of what the conception is. And that's fine. It's again, it's not the, like we were talking about before. It's not discrimination. It's just the standards of the sport. And you, you should know that going in. If you're a short guy, you should know you're going to have to work harder to physically be ready because they're going to try pick on you or they're going to, you know, whatever it may be. And, and I was saying to you before, like I knew for a fact, 90%, 80% of teams or whatever it was, won't even look at you because you're under six foot and that's fine. It's just the way it is. And you just have to accept it. Cause if you, if you go, Oh, oh well, I'm so short. I can't, then you're never going to get anywhere, man. You know, find a way around it. And so I think that's a big one is spend your time in the weight room. Make sure you're strong and flexible. Make sure you're athletic. Make sure you understand how to cover. Make sure you know the game better than people. If you work harder at those things, you'll find your way. But the bottom line is you just have to understand that you have a big task in front of you. But take it on as a challenge. Don't let it defeat you because it's possible. Everyone everyone can make it. It doesn't matter. I played against a five foot seven long snapper, you know, but he was a he was a gun downfield man. And that and again, that's why they played him, because he was good downfield, you know. 
So no. if you can do whatever you want, man. It just it's up to you. It's your own limitations. That's so well said. And you know, I think a lot of times and it might be that lazy attitude that some and I'm not saying all, believe me. Five nine, you know, I work my butt off for everything, you know, and that's where I tried to I tried to learn all the other facets and be so technically advanced. Uh, do you know the mental game, uh, dry runs, just every part of my game to you know learn ahead of other people. That uh, that's how I, I you know I put my dedication into, yeah. and that's why I was able to make you know the strides that I did. But you know, so many guys will use that as a crutch or a complaining point. You know, like oh I'm this, I'm that, and it's like you know you're just creating an excuse for yourself not to make it. You know, instead yeah. of trying to improve in those other fields like you talked about it's just understanding your limitations because I knew I can't snap the same way that a six foot five guy can. So I had to get better. Like I said, in the weight room, I worked on these movements because I had less ability naturally to do it. Whereas they have the long lever. It's literal physics. Like, you know, it's generating force is physics, man. And, and I had the, I was at the disadvantage, which is fine. Nothing I can do about it. So why am I going to sit there and moan about it? You know, like at least I, go and do something about it so i worked on every single aspect and made myself more explosive you know stronger in those movements so that when the time so i can put it together it's it's yeah it's 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 one of those my pet peeves is when people like oh well i can't do this because of this it's like you can do it but are you willing to put the work in to do it it's it's the bottom line now you might have to work harder but still it's possible absolutely man you're preaching to the choir i love it man i love it saying some good stuff Hey, okay, well, while we're on the subject, you know, s- smaller guys, there's no excuse, right? But you do have to put that work in. And I think you have to be oh, yeah. uh, smarter about what you do, uh, that these workouts are helping you. Uh, what were yeah. some of the things that you like to do and what workouts help a long snapper? You talked about some of the core stuff mm. you did earlier. What did you like to do? Yeah, I mean, look, there's a lot of drills. I mean, like I said, the bottom line is you're trying to make the most of what you have. So, Again, for me, I didn't have the long arms. So for me, it was about how quickly could I move, right, to generate that force, how strong was I to, during that movement, and then also how efficient. So like you said, the core, that ability to crunch really hard, you know, I did a ton of work on that. The ability to move faster comes from training it. You can't just move faster naturally. I mean, maybe you can as you get older. I don't know. But the bottom line is, for me personally, I knew that if I trained those movements, I would be able to do it faster. And again, I was ingraining those patterns into my mind. So at the end of the day, my thing was be as accurate as I can because there was a there was a charting goal for the whole entire preseason for us was 80% accuracy, which is on the hip, right? And and averaging under a 0.72 or 0.72, I think from memory. Um, and, I, and I hit both of those. I think I was like 95, 99% accuracy. And like, I think I averaged like a six, nine, seven, oh, and in pads, that's pretty solid. Cause yeah. So at the end of the day, that's, you know, if you're, if you're one of those guys that doesn't have those levers, and even if you have those levers, you should still be working on this stuff just cause you're big and long. Yeah. Great. You have an advantage, but the, well, but that still doesn't mean you can't get out of work. So it's the guys that can put all of that together is the ones that make it. And usually there's a reason guys that are usually linebackers in college or tight ends in college end up with snappers in the NFL because they're used to working that hard. They're used to that work ethic of what, because look, don't get me wrong, man. It made my legs sore just watching those DBs run around and practice, right? So 
but you got to understand they put all that work in and it's a reason that we get looked at the way we are because we don't do all of that but the bottom line is those are the guys that understand our work ethic usually the ones that translate to pro because they understand i have to work at this just as hard as i was working at that you know and then that's that's where that comes in and a lot of the specialists who were specialists their entire career unless they're perfectionists and they have that drive most of them don't do that work and it's just a, it's a fact man I, you know, I'm not having a shot at anybody. It's just a fact. No. So, yeah. yeah. You haven't it's, named any names yet. So, yeah, you, you, you haven't named shots on anybody. I won't, I won't be doing that. Trust me. As much as I want to, I won't be doing that. <laughs> no, but that's – that's no, you're, you're right. It's that mentality, I think, that dog mentality. It's like I'm going to outwork anyone I can. And sometimes yeah. for specialists, especially you see these guys that are, you know, even long snappers, you'll see some five-star guys that, you know, have been that, that dude and they've been huge their whole career. It's like, all right, well, I can kind of just get by, but that's not the point. The point is to push yourself to see uh, what you can do. And, uh, you know, I think that's, that's very important for uh, mentality wise as also physically. So. Awesome stuff. Well, man. Uh, oh, I was gonna ask you about your, your charting. Did you guys chart at all? Or did you have did your coaches chart you? How did they go about coaches, that? coaches charted us? Um, not so much my first year there, because obviously, when you have a guy that has dual positions, um, and that's why the bigger programs usually have better special. Well, it's not necessarily true. But um, uh, seriously, it, I, I played against some specialists, some of the biggest programs and they they were not good. I don't know whether they were having an off day. But Man, usually it was the smaller schools we played against usually had better specialists because they're not those five-star. Exactly what we were just talking about with the five-star kids. Some of them were really effing talented, and that's undeniable. But there's just some that got that ranking one way or another, man, and end up at a big school, and they're just, yeah. But, yeah, we were chartered every day. So Coach Pence had us chartered. You know, every snap was was done by film charting, right? Not not necessarily live because there's too much going on in practice. But they'll go back over the film. Everything was filmed, pre-practice. Like everything was filmed. Everything was charted, and every week we would get given our charting, our percentages and times, and and off times. I'm talking the whole the whole thing. I think data is so important, and you know, it's one of those things. I do it now. I do data analytics as part of my day job. And it's, it's really impressive what you can find out through data and, you know, analyzing. You can analyze trends and you can analyze, you know, you can go, oh, this guy's starting to, he's starting to slow down. And then you go, okay, well, what's, what's wrong? And then you start, for, you know, it can be anything. You look at the op times, you go, okay, well, what's going on? Why is it getting slower? Why is it, you know, why is accuracy getting worse or whatever? And you can have a real conversation with them around and find out what's going on. But yeah, and if you don't have that data, then you're never going to know, are you? Like it's... Yeah. Well, yeah, so, yeah, every day, man. And it's holding your guys accountable too, you know. Like they're it's holding 100%. a certain standard, and and they see that, and they're like, oh, well, now I want to push myself because I've been held to this. Yeah. So that's impressive. That's something awesome uh, to do. Um, man, we hit so much today, man. This has been awesome. We've had the first Australian FBS long snapper, isn't that correct, Tim? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's another one behind me in the, in the FCS level, but. Yeah, he followed me, but yeah, I think I think I was the first. At least I hope so. <laughs> yeah, I think so, but uh, hopefully, hopefully not the last. So we'll see. Yeah, awesome. Well, man, yeah, I know you're gonna start churning them out. Um, talk to us. Uh, you know, are you? Are, what do you got going on uh, now? And what's what's your plans going forward? 
Um, at this point in time, I've got a lot going on academically, which again, guys, make sure you take every academics in school. If you can get your masters done while you're playing, you're going to be well ahead of life. But bottom line is I'm going back to um, university part time to finish my MBA. Um, and I'm studying to become a certified financial analyst, uh, chartered financial analyst, sorry, certified, chartered. Anyway, um, chartered financial analyst and yeah, but I've, I've, I've sort of missed football. So I am going to be coaching a little bit here. Um, don't know how deep that's going to go in terms of time constraints, but I think once it all opens up, I will go do some work with ProKick down in Melbourne, but they're currently on a heavy lockdown. So um, it's going to be a while, but once that does open up in the long run, I think I'll go and help coach down there with them a little bit just every once in a while would be nice to start getting some Australian long snappers because the talent's there the athleticism size it's all here but um, we're competing against other sports that have a deeper hold on you know on the on the younger guys that are the right age so um, yeah we'll get there but for now yeah life's moving on man real real life stuff so so it's good well, um, that's awesome, man. I'm so happy for you and, and our, our friendship. And to me, man, that was one of the best talks I've ever heard on long snappers. You hit all the points. Is If uh, any young long snappers would like to get a hold of you and ask questions, can they do so? Is there a Twitter? Yeah, man. More, like I said, I, I, I don't necessarily coach snappers as much. As, like I used to coach them properly online. I'd probably still – help anybody out but you know there's a lot of good long snapping coaches in the u.s which are more accessible you know like i said you got coles you got you know you got matt wiggly in la who's great you got you know stelter up in wisconsin you know you got zona for the college guys you know you've got all these all you got all these people and especially with technology today they all do online lessons you know there's there's guys everywhere but at this point yeah if anybody you know wants to reach out more than happy to take a look give you feedback you know, have a chat with you. Like I said, I, I, I still do that for some guys now um, that, you know, reach out, send me film and, you know, I just got to give them some pointers and help them. I don't, I don't charge them anything. I'm not in it for the money anymore. It's, it's one of those things for me. I just enjoy it. I miss football. I miss coaching guys. I think that's the thing that you're very lucky that you get to do this on a daily basis. You know, now I'm into the corporate life, you know, I'm suit and tie every day, but which might tell but you know soon tie every day clean cut but it's one of those things man I, I miss it so if anybody ever wants any help i'm more than happy to help them out i'm more than happy to put them in touch with people that i trust um you know things like that because i think there's a lot of crap coaching out there there can be and i think it's sad when kids get misled or whatever it may be so um you know i, I know the people that i trust i know people you know that are good guys so you know if anybody ever wants any help hit me up on twitter instagram i don't care whatever whichever you you know way you want to get a hold of me more than welcome to what's your handle oh, okay here we go Plug. i think it's timidon or 40 from memory um I, i'm not on twitter as much because without the football world twitter football is twitter twitter is football so um yeah timidon 40 and then uh yeah i think it's the same for instagram actually but you should find me under timidon so that's fine awesome fam well hey uh, wrapping up here that was that's been an awesome talk thanks for listening and if you have any questions you'd like asked or select yes coming up follow and send us a message on twitter and instagram to iceman underscore kicking or icemankicking at gmail.com be sure to follow us and turn notifications on youtube spotify and soundcloud at iceman kicking podcast and rate and review us on apple music this will be as we will have giveaways going forward. Also, check out our TikTok under the same name for the best clips 
from these interviews. And tune in next week for another great special teams mind. I'm Brett Arkellian, and for everyone at the Iceman Kicking Podcast, we hope you stay cool under pressure. Have a great week.